Hey everybody, welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. How are you? Tonight's guest is Santiago Alvarez. Santiago's an amp designer, uh, electronics wizard, and uh, has worked for Marshall for uh, quite many years and designed several amps that I think people are aware of, uh, such as the JVM, the YJM, the, which is the Ingve Malmsteen amp, uh, also the Slash AFD amp. We're going to talk all about that stuff today. Santiago, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for, for having me here. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Dave, what's going on with you in uh, sunny uh, California? Uh, everything's burning down and, uh, oh. and, uh, <laughs> and it's 90 some degrees at, at the, you know, uh, in end of October. Why? <laughs> uh, you know, it's okay. <laughs> but it needs to be a little cooler already. Enough with this. Are you, um, are you close to, uh, the fires? No, I say every day, uh, not, well, not really, no. You can see them in the hills and stuff, but I don't live in the hills. I live in North Hollywood, and I live in the flatlands in the middle of North Hollywood, and there's no way, unless the world came to an end, that the fire would burn up to my house. Well, <laughs> it would have to burn through so much of the city to get there. <laughs> not possible. Pretty much, pretty much every year you have fires there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, because we're always in a state of drought. You know, we, mm. we don't, it doesn't rain. Um, so uh, all the stuff in the hills and the, the brush is so dry. It's just, I mean, yeah. almost almost the sun could set it on fire. Yeah, I, I remember going with Marsha to, to, to meet those guys, Hollywood and et cetera. And was when the big fires, you know, and whole Hollywood smelled like like smoke and something. Yeah, it smells like nasty. a Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, it happens every year, uh, many times, many fires. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's not good. Well, it's never good, um, but sometimes there's houses lost. And yeah, I just always said, I go, I don't think I'll ever, even if I wanted to, live in the hills because you're just asking for trouble. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll yeah, stay well. where I'm at. <laughs> I can imagine it's got to it's be really hard to get insurance and stuff. As well uh, that's a good question I, I don't know if you're near the hills what kind of what what, what what there's probably an additional fire insurance I would imagine um, they try to charge you through the roof they try to charge you for earthquake insurance too extra money and you so they charge you for the things you need you know I mean if there's no fires would be free but yeah, if there are yeah. fires it would be like <laughs> yeah yeah you know, a kidney yeah. and a liver <laughs> It's uh, you need that stuff if your fucking house burns down. I'll oh, yeah. just stay in the flatland. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice neighborhood. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, uh, I feel bad. That's that's really sucks for people who are experiencing that. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But um, so Santiago, you're in China and. Are you in Hong Kong? Is that where you're at? I am in Hong Kong, yeah. I've been living here for many, many years, actually. I mean, I came here uh, in 2001 with Behringer. During my old days with Behringer, Uli Behringer asked me to, to move from Germany to Hong Kong. So I came in 2001, then I left for a while, 
with Uli also to Philippines and then moved to England to work for Marshall back in 2005. But the deal with Marshall was that they were already looking for um, some sort of presence in, in Asia, right? So I stayed a couple of years, two and a half years in England and then I came back to Hong Kong. So I am in Hong Kong since 2009 or 1984. So, yeah. so where, where are you originally from? I'm from Spain. Right. Yeah, it's a small city in the north called Oviedo. You know, like Atlantic side, it's not one of famous cities. Yes, a tiny, or tiny yeah. for the you know, 200,000 uh, people living there. And I had my whole life there. I studied there. Um, then my first job, which was actually in Beringer in Germany. So. I got it from Spain, I got a job, I drove all the way to Germany, and, and then I didn't go back to Spain. I mean, I go back every year, obviously, for, to see family and so on, but I, since 2000, I am living outside. I was, I was just in Barcelona. I loved mm. it. <laughs> no, Barcelona is a very nice city. Yeah. Right now, it's in the news for the wrong reasons, like like here in Hong Kong. Yeah. But, you know, what can you do? <laughs> yeah, what can you do? So, so, so you moved to Germany for to, to go to work for Behringer, right? Actually, it, I can tell you more or less the, the whole story because I mean I'm dealing with electronics for let's say my my whole life, you know, because my my father is an electric engineer, so I always saw this stuff at home, and then you get your first guitar, and come on by then I am talking about like 1985 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Of course, no internet, no books, of course, no idea of anything. So the only thing you can do is to do to, to stuff by yourself, right? Yeah. So I always saw that at home and I saw how, how it started to uh, electronics, just opening stuff and so on. Um, then went to university doing electronics and was working already in bands and with local bands and so on. That was how I got involved in the, in the business, let's say. Um, when I was doing my PhD, which I didn't finish, uh, I was bored, honestly, of, of the university. And I started sending CDs, you know, as you can see there. Um, Behringer called me straight away. That was year 2000. Because they were looking for some people to do the guitar amps. I mean, they were starting with the, uh, 1999 or year 2000, starting with their range of, of uh, guitar amps for the state. Uh, the Bulgaria line? The... If, no, before that. Oh, before that. There. Yes, yes, the GX and the Blue Devil, and that's how they started, the bass amps. Were they, um, they, I don't were, they were labeled Behringer? Yes, yeah, yeah, oh, they were okay. labeled Behringer. And it was like kind of hitting the right door in the right moment, because straight away they called me back. And they sent me to Germany to do the personal interview, and I went back home to Spain with, with the contract already. So I moved to Germany just like that, like, it was like April, and then first week of May, I was living in Germany, working for Beringer, my first my first uh, job, which was quite. I mean, people, you know, people talk Beringer like you know, have a they had I and mean, it changed, but they had this, this bad view of Beringer, which by the by then was I mean, everybody knows was copying a lot of stuff and, and so on, but from an engineering point of view, you know, as an employee, you get exposed to such a broad, you know, range of products that it was actually really good. 
you know, you can see mixers, you can see speakers, you can see mass production in China, you can see how a big organization works. So it was, it was really, really, you know, from a, from a learning point of view, really enlightening. And then I had the, the, the chance to work really close with, with Uli Beringer. I don't know why, I mean, he, he probably liked me and we came close quite early after I joined. Because Uli was always doing electronics also, that was like his, his hobby. So maybe he's free on a weekend and then he does a couple of, of mixers, you know. And then he sends the, the, the stuff to me to, to finish. And uh, one day, it was just one morning, even before I started working, he called me straight away in the office. And he asked me, hey, Santiago, do you want to come with me to Hong Kong? And I'm like, hey, well, I mean, yes, but I would like to see it first, you know, I mean, it's not like, change in the city in Germany or something. So um, I, I, he invited me for a few weeks in Hong Kong and uh, I moved. I moved back in, in 2001. I moved and I worked a lot with him and I was going to China, you know, to the factories almost every week and it was quite quite good. Then is when he, he closed the uh, Hong Kong office and opened the Philippines, uh, Philippines office. Bellinger has a, a big, big office in the, in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And uh, I moved with him. Why, why did they? Uh, why did they close the Hong Kong office? Just out of curiosity. Because you don't really need it. By then, he already bought his own factory in, in China. So why do you need to see people here in Hong Kong when across the border, you can have everything, right? I mean, many people did that. You kind of keep the business side. You know, like the. the, the bank accounts and all the, all the, the bureaucracy stuff you keep in Hong Kong. But of course, all the operation uh, moved to, to China. Also, by then, it was super easy and super cheap to find engineers, for example, in China. I mean, that changed. Now it's much more expensive. But uh, I'm talking about 2000, 2001. It was really, really easy to find employees in, in Shenzhen. I mean, Shenzhen was much smaller than it is now, I mean, if you see back then and now it's, it's, it's like a whole new city. So obviously for, for him having his own factory, not depending on, on contract manufacturing and OEMs, makes sense for, for, for a company like Berenger. And then of course, it doesn't make sense to have people employed in, in Hong Kong being that the case. So he, he relocated uh, people, the people in Hong Kong was asked to work in, in China. And then, of course, Hong Kong office uh, was closed after some months. And because living in China by then wasn't that easy without speaking Chinese. Uh, and he was already living in the Philippines. He decided to, to open a small operation in the Philippines. And he asked me again to, to join if I want. And he, he gave me the, the choice. You're going to go back to Germany, or you want to stay in China, or you want to come with me to the Philippines. And pretty much just because the language, I moved to, to Manila with him. And the small office, which started with like three or four people, and like 50 something people and two stories in a building and so on. So it was a bit, a bit crazy. It was, it was fun. I have, I have good memories of, of the Beringer days. That's cool. We, we actually have a question from um, Matthias, I believe it. He says, ask about the Beringer uh, 1960. Did you have anything to do with that? Uh, that's the cabinets. Uh, or the, or the, the head. Uh, no, no, that's the head, head, yes. Okay, 
1960. Or he meant the Bulgara 1960. Yes, I, I started the Bulgara with, with Uli Berenger. Actually, we came to the name of Bulgara together in Hong Kong. Because uh, at some point, Uli was wanting to make a tube amp. He said, ah, there's a huge market in the tube amps. There is no cheap tube amps by then. I'm talking 2003, 2003 or 2002. Um, there is a big market for the tube amps. The market is uh, shrinking. So you had a very expensive tube amps, a very cheap modeling already, um, solid state. And then was the hybrid in between. And, but the hybrid was disappearing, and the tube amps were lowering price. So Uli start, decided to uh, let's do a new brand because I don't think the Behringer brand matches a range of tube amps, right? Yeah. So we started brainstorming of names of of, uh, of uh, brands, you know, for a different one is that when he came with the, with the name Bugera, which, I mean, if you take other brands and then you combine them, you can <laughs> kind of guess where it comes from. Um, I did start the first schematics. I started them, which was uh, actually was a dual rectifier, and a Marshall, and a Sotan. That's that's where we started. But uh, I left uh, Bellinger before those amps were released. So in the 1960, I have nothing to, you know, I haven't done anything for the for the 1960. Uh. So, which were the amps that you that you worked on before you left? Well, the tube amps were were the I don't know the names, the names that Bellinger gave to them, but was the the the, the rectifier, which actually at the end I think it came out like the triple rectifier Bellinger did, and uh, I worked in the in the Soldano, but I don't think the Soldano came out, mm. and I did start the the PP the. the the um, X, I think it was the one which which really was was after. Interesting. But yeah, I didn't. I mean, I left before those amps uh, reached the market, so I wouldn't claim I did those. You know, mm -hmm. ah, the fifty-one fifty. Yeah, yeah, the sixty-two sixty-two. That's also one of the ones we we started. It was very popular. I mean, yeah, right. But then. When I left, they added stuff. They added all this uh, biasing stuff and all the. They added some some features, I think, for for the auto bias and, and stuff. I don't know. I mean, I honestly, I never played one. Because they I've never played. One. I, but I played. Did you did? Okay. Yeah, I mean, some of them sound just basically like the other amps. You know, I mean. Of course. Fine. <laughs> just made just made a little cheaper and you know, made you know, the pots are cheaper and the you know. Yes. Might fall I mean, apart eventually, but <laughs> I think you'll get what you pay for. <laughs> yeah, you you'll get what you pay for. I mean it's Yeah. Nothing yeah. is made worse than the Sovtech amps. Well, uh, yes. Those are a bit uh Yes. <laughs> if, if you look at the pots wrong, they break. If you just look at them wrong, they break. They, they were very popular. Also. I think the soft tech is the ones that started the cheap 
Yeah, you know, they actually they actually uh, can sound really good. Um, you just have to uh, change all the jacks, all, all the switches, and change all the pots, and then you're okay. Hmm. And then it seems to work. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did, Dave, did uh, did Josh ever send you one? Yeah, no, Josh sent me one, and I modded it for him. Did you? So yeah, uh, he's got it. That's Josh from JHS Pedals. He was a guest on the show. He was telling, saying that he was going to do that. That's funny. He collects them. Yeah. But he agrees, too. You have to change all the pots and all the switches. And all I mean, at the end, you know, a tube amp is, is, you cannot get much more simple than, a, for example, a 1959, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's super easy to copy. And at the end, if you want to save, make something cheap, you have to save in everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the, of, of course, the Transformers probably is the, the place where you can save the most and then the, the, the cabinet you can save a little bit but the electronics itself you know i mean it's literally 15 resistors 10 cups and the tubes yeah uh, um you know i never understood why saving on pots i mean how much can you save on pots like maybe half dollar and hold up and then just makes you look like a cheapo crap or yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know because if you want something cheap and you Okay, the cabinet is crap, the, 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 you know, the grill, the metal grill is like flimsy and so on, the knobs are plasticky. Okay, I mean, you pay, that's why it's cheap, you know. But saving on, on the, the amp itself could be done actually quite reliably. Yeah. Because you don't really save money. So I always had this question mark of, of do we really need to save money on this stuff? You know, like 20 cents on, on, on 10 jacks is like, no worth anyway. I mean, the company's oh, right. not worth it in the end when they start breaking. Yeah. Right, and then you have a lot of QC yeah. issues and. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Believe me, I know. I know <laughs> all about tubes. When you when you're doing larger production, you learn really quickly what um, you know, what parts work, what don't work, what parts are having problems. Uh, you start to see it really quickly when you're doing large numbers of things, or you know. That, that's why I, I mentioned that the working in Belgium was really good for that because yeah. the mixers, for example, were done by literally millions. You know, so imagine you have one switch that fails or one resistor. Yeah. I mean, it's a big problem. Yeah. If you have like hundred thousand mixers in the market that yeah. one switch breaks and it's not your fault, but just because. No, whatever it happens, it's a it's a yeah. headache. So you you, oh, you yeah, learn absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, I mean, I see it on a s smaller scale, but a larger scale than a lot of companies. And you know, people will tell me, "No, I've never had any problems with JJ power tubes or this or that." And I'm like, "Going, yeah, okay. Well, maybe you're trying. You got one set that works. That's good." But try putting them in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of amps and see what happens. You know, for, for everything you do, for everything you do, you will have people that will tell you it's crap, and the other people will tell you it's a good and I never had any problem. Yeah. So you just have to ignore those two extremes and then just see the whole picture, you know. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yep. Yep. I mean, the, the problem is that whoever has a problem with something, it will make noise. So it will go to five forums and it will put, I bought this Freeman app, it's junk because the tubes keep breaking on me. And it's like, 
well, maybe you are unlucky, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I, don't make, I don't manufacture the tubes. Exactly. And, and it's like you buy an expensive car and, and maybe break it. I mean, it's, it's how things work. But yeah. then, then you get the, 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 the fame of, oh, my amps are not reliable because somebody in a forum said that they break and the ball keeps growing, you know, there's no ball. And then you just get this, this reputation or lack of reputation, which sometimes is not true and sometimes it's true. So that's why from our, let's say, our side, when we see behind, you can you can see the, a better picture, you know, of, of what's going on and if you need to take action or, or not. Because sometimes, yeah. I mean, you may say uh, tubes are breaking and maybe it's, it's nothing wrong with your design, but maybe you're pushing it a bit too much and in the long run, you may have a problem, you know. And yeah. you will see that. So that is your responsibility to, to, to try to correct it. But otherwise, I tell you, Everything you do, especially in Marshall, somebody will straight away come and tell you, Ish, you know, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> straight yeah. away. <laughs> so when you left, when you left Beringer, uh, where did you go after that? I went to Marshall straight oh, away. Yeah. Straight away, okay. And you, it's, and you. It's, uh, so yes. okay. So what, what was your role there after when you when you were hired? Actually, uh, that was in two thousand five. You know, the Blackstar guys left Marshall like two years before, one and a half year. The Blackstar, Blackstar guys were the, the technical director and the design engineers of Marshall and so on. And they at some point decided to to split from Marshall to do their own thing. So Marshall was having no engineers, I think. Only one engineer was left. So they started looking for, for people to design for them. And it appeared, appeared in the internet. The, the design engineer uh, job offer. So I applied and they called me, I did the interview with them. So I got the job and then I went back to the Philippines. I told Willie Benjamin, you know, I told him I have this offer from Marshall because uh, I actually was quite, I was quite good in Benjamin. And I told him, but you know, I always, I'm a Marshall guy and I always wanted to, to do like T-Bams and work in a you know, a big name company and so on. And Uli always told me, if that's what you want, just, you know, just go. And, and that's why I did. So I moved to to England and I, I was hired as a analog and digital design engineer. And my first uh, project in Marshall was the base amps, the MB base amps. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they make it anymore. Because then they bought this different and, and they were discontinued, but they did arrange like the MG, but the MB for for base MB30, 15 was was quite quite a big range actually, even high power like 500 watts heads and That's solid four state. by paper. That was solid. Solid state. state. Yeah. And hybrid, and hybrid, and hybrid stuff. Two bands. Was, yeah. Yes. Yes. A tube in the preamp for the bigger for the bigger amps, and. As soon as that project was done, I was tasked to start uh, researching about switching systems for tube amps because they wanted to do the new flagship, which they already had more or less in the plan. It was the four-channel replacement of the TSL, but the TSL was full of problems by then and by now another <laughs> time for the switching and for the, the way it was engineered and so on. So the 
their plan was to re-engineer the TSL and add one more channel. That was the original, the original idea. But uh, at the end, it didn't happen because it was a pain to work in that, in that amp. So once the or the switching and more or less decided to go with uh, relays and do the whole thing tube, including the text loop and so on, I started with a JCM 100. So I put the TSL on the side, I put the 100 on, on the desk, and that's how the JVM started. The idea was to have a four channel amp with uh, more A. That was the that was the specification with Morley, because uh, I mean Marsha never had enough thing. I mean that's true. Even the TSL, if you play, if you go against the 5150, for example, you don't have that much gain. You know, the diesel by then was very popular. The the, the Herbert and the yeah. DH H4 and stuff and some Bogner and stuff. And Marshall was more, let's say, more generic in a way, and not not that enough gain. And um, by then was Nick Volcott, you know, so what, uh, his, yeah. he was very involved in, in, in Marshall. Also Mitch Cody, I mean, you had him. There were more or less the, the two guys from America that always came to to work on the product and so on. And it was, Nick was always like, more pain, more pain, more pain. So uh, <laughs> it's like, okay, you won the game, you will have game, you know. And that, that's how the, the JVM started, it's a modified 800. It was for channels, so then uh, I added the the clean channel, which was based on the on the 30th anniversary, 6100. I made it a bit more less clean, the same way, more shiny and so on. Then the current channel tried to be the 800 stock, 800, and then there was always the question of what to do with the four channels, because I mean, why do you need four channels? You just need one clean, one crunch, and one, you know, OD. And then we decided to just scoop, you know, scoop them inside a little bit and, and just do it a little bit different to the other overdrive channel. So that, that's, that's how the basic JVM started. And then the three modes, again, was some kind of accident, if, if you will, because it was not planned. But when I had the, the prototype on the test, there were so many sounds that were actually usable. I mean, out of the 12 modes, probably 10 or 9 modes are actually probably worth an amp itself, you know. Um, so it was a bit of a waste. And then just started brainstorming on how to make it accessible without looking like an aircraft cockpit, you know. Because you start putting switches for channel, you know, 28 nodes and then 25 switches and then a, a foot switch with a connector like this because you need all the options. I mean, that doesn't work. So that, that's how came out. Okay, let's just do like modes per channel with just one switch that you kind of you know scroll through the modes and so on. Um, then uh, at the beginning, the foot switch was done with a with a network connection, you know, with a RJ45 something like that. But it was like ah, this is too specific, and people will not be too happy to have a connector like this. I mean, it's still better than the the multi-pin connectors, which are always breaking, and then you can never replace them. You know, that was one of the problems that Marshall was having with the with the DSL and TSL, with TSL, that they have this D, you know, like a BGA connector, this, this D9 or D16 connector or something, 
which are always breaking, and if they break, you are stuck, because what can you do? Mm -hmm. So it was, again, thinking, okay, let's put a network cable, so at least you can always go to the, you know, to the shop and buy a network cable, but then was like, Anna, we can do a, just a one-wire, one-wire, one guitar cable connector to the pedal and so on, so that's, that's how it came. And then once you have the whole amp of the test with all the modes and the one-wire communication, then the whole thing came by itself, you know, like, okay, let's do this. It will be great if we can program this. So that's how the the programmable foot switch came. So it was kind of evolving. It's not that we sat like for one year before doing the JPM and then we did it. It just it just happened. And it came out quite nice. I mean it came out uh, two thousand six, I think it was. I mean it was in two thousand six, maybe it launched two thousand seven. And it was it was quite quite a uh, you know, for Marshall, a big, a big thing. There was a lot of promotion for it. I mean, they, if I remember correctly. There was a lot of promotion yeah. because it's a cool sounding gym. Yeah. It's not bad. It was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, what well, can I, I say, you know? <laughs> but, um, I, I remember, I, you know what? I haven't played it for a lot, lot, a lot of times. I remember it being quite bright, or at least the early ones that I tried were quite bright. I don't know if that changed. It but, didn't change. I mean, uh, actually, one of the things I'm, I'm proud of is that the J games there since 2006, we're in 2019, and it's in production for every year without changes. I mean, which which other Marshall is like that? You know? Yeah, so, that, that, that's good, because generally speaking, they just discontinue things. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's a company policy for some other reasons, I guess. But the check-in is there. I mean, you would have expected that maybe in 2013 or 14 or something, you would have at least the next revision of JPM. Just put it up to date. Things like the flex loop and maybe other noise gate. I mean, put it more 2020 friendly, let's say that way. Because the JPM, in a way, is a 2000 style. Um, you know, with the parallel loop and, and the way it's thought, I think it's more like a late 90s or early 2000s than a modern arm, you know, for the way things things evolve, like FX, for example, is, is one of the things that probably needs to be, to be changed. But uh, they're still bright, um, in a way. The thing is that in the mix, it cuts very nicely. Yeah. So you have this balance always of, okay, I make an amp less bright that sounds very good in the shop, or yeah. I do an amp bright that maybe doesn't That's sound that good in the yeah, shop. Sure. I totally understand, yes. So what, again, whatever you do, people will say something. So, Absolutely. <laughs> but At least it was all tube. It was all tube. I mean, that was, was my... all tube, people. And so the JVM was all tube, and that was nice compared to, you know, DSL and all the other stuff that's that was my 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 thing i said no no because people started i oh, know we have this all the fix loop and everything all the stuff is we can take it from the dsl or dsl it's like no i mean i don't care i don't i want a full tube amp i don't want people to come and tell us that our amp is a hybrid you know yeah it was because you are going to launch the next the next flagship of marshall you can start cutting not even cost because you don't save much money but cutting corners for, for whatever reason is like, no, no, we do uh, everything deal here. 
even the river is complicated. The river is digital, but of course, was in parallel, and the mixer is a tube. Everything, absolutely everything from input to output is, is a tube. So what, what about the DSL and the TSL that was the hybrid part? Okay. Well, they have a lot of solid state in there. Uh, they have but a tube. Pre clipping, solid state clipping, and then there's uh, all the, all the um, volumes, aren't they? Weren't they op amps? Yes. Uh, and the, but the DSL, the clipping is all tube. But uh, once you reach the tone control, you know, between the tone control and the tube and the power amp, yeah. everything is uh, solid state. Yeah. So all the, the effects loop, the master, all that in between section is all, all op amps. The switching, I think there's also some solid state down there. I mean, I don't know because I, honestly, I'm not that familiar with the earlier DSLs. Some of them have optocouplers and some, but they have a still those, they, Marshall used them a lot, those switching op amps. Yeah. So they do all the switching. But for example, the, the 6100, you know, that people have it like the best Marshall ever, forever. Half of the amp is solid state. So, and people don't care. So that, that's, that's what I'm saying that whatever you do will be wrong depending on, on how people how people see it because the the 6100 you know the three channel 30th anniversary yeah also three amps are tube but then everything you know the, all the loops parallel loops serial loop everything there is a whole page of four amps yeah operational requires with the, all the master section so that was something that when we did the JVN, it's like, no, no, this has right. to be full tube. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's good. And then what was what was next after the JVM? Soon after the JVM was the Kerakina, the, the 2203KK. Actually, it was done almost in parallel at the end. In fact, the, the 2203 Kerakin PCB, the main PCB, mm -hmm. is pretty much a JVM PCB with the things you don't need just taken away. Um, that was, that was uh, again, Nick Balfour, who was the one dealing with artists in, in the US and so on. He's the one who came in, we can do a, a signature series for, for Kerry King. Kerry King, of course, is on board, I and mean, who is not going to be on board for a Marshall signature, right? right. But it's true that Kerry King was using Marshall always, was one of those guys that is like, they don't play anything else. Um, for whatever reason, uh, Jim Marshall by then agreed because in the eight, in, sorry, the nineties, the Sackwild, the Slash, which were just rebaged amps, but there was never a real signature amps because Jim wasn't fond of signature amps. So but anyway, but but then he agreed to do a signature amp. Um, they gave it sent to me because. Actually, I was the only one playing heavy metal in the office. We were like three engineers, and one more, one was more into blues rock stuff, and the other one more into hard rock, not, not really into heavy metal. And myself, I was into metal, you know? So it's like, okay, I'm for Slayer, it has to be Santiago. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's how it started. Actually, that's how stupid you know, the stupid way I started doing signature apps was because of that. Um, so Kerry King sent us the, his rack, 
he has like two or three rocks, you know, the A rock, the B rock, and then the Europe rock, and so on. So he sent us one of the rocks, which had the, as far as I remember, his best 800. Um, then he had the rock from Hush, that was, that was the gate he was using. And then he had two boss EQs, the, the half rack, you know. They did boss did some half rack EQs in the 80s, I think it was. Yeah. The REQ15 or something, anyway. Yeah. So had one using and one spare with his his curve. So uh, what we what we did for that was to analyze the, what kind of response and what kind of gain he had in that EQ. I copied it, not the whole EQ. I mean, you don't have to copy a whole EQ. You just have to copy some. You have to just implement one circuit that does the same kind of boost that Kerry King. So did that frequency response with a gain control. Uh, then we did a, did a um, expander, a noise gate, which was not based on the hash or anything, was uh, was one of those uh, that, you know, that uh, BCA chips. So we put all together, we did the, the amp, which he's still using, and uh, he was already super happy, you know. Uh, so he took it on, on tour, straight away. First prototype, the one I soldered, probably still on tour, actually. And uh, some... Some time later, I got a call from Nick again. Hey, Santiago, we have a big problem here. We have a big problem with the noise gate. And it's like, because we're playing, we are playing, no, you, you, you know Nick, you know, um, yeah. we're, we're here playing in this whatever, you know, big festival in the US, and when we're playing a Raining Blood, you know, I don't know if you know the Raining Blood sound of Slayer, but there's a part that is like, again, um, yeah, no, like, like, like that. Very, so very, you could hear that. The, very yeah, very choppy. Staccato, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So it's at the end of song, just like chun chun, chun chun, chun chun. So you could hear that he's cutting. You could say chun chun, chun chun, you know, the, the decay of the gate. So that was a big problem, and it's like, which the hash also had, you know. So. They came and said, if you could just sort out this problem, I mean, it would be just perfect. So I kind of redesigned the gate. I added a, a, what is called an adaptive, uh, how is it called, a, a release, an adaptive release. So depending on how how choppy it is, it cuts faster or, or softer. Right? Uh -huh. So that, that's how it's done in the, in the Kerry King gate. Mm. And then, Slayer was in Europe. He was in Europe on tour, and Kerry King came to Marshall to the headquarters. And I remember he was Marshall had a stage, you know, like we call it theater. And Kerry King was trying it, and at some point, just stops, looks at me, and says, "Sharp." That's that's his. But Kerry doesn't talk much, you know. But uh, he just said, "Sharp," and that was it. That was the Kerry King arm uh, finished, done. That's great. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, that's a cool amp, actually. Yeah, I. Uh, that's I really good. Amp. It's basically a boosted 800, right? With a gate. It is a boosted 800 with uh, KT88, so 6550s, I forgot. But yes, just a boosted 800 based, mechanically, is based on the JVM style, you know? So the uh, PCB, the transformers, instead of a vertical, they are uh, through. Through the chassis, you know, the X, yeah. 
you know, the set months per X mountain. But uh, it's an a hand. So if you switch the, the, the boost and the gate off, it's a two, two or three. And then, um, so now, now you you working with Kerry King, um, and then from there, what what happened? What happened afterwards was the Marshall MG. <laughs> you know, that's what happened afterwards. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, after doing the MB, then the JBM and the Kerry King, the next project I, I had on my desk was the Marshall MG, because the current, I mean, the current by them to the 2005 or something. It was the previous MG was already old-ish, and there were a lot of companies doing already modeling apps, namely Line 6. Actually, the Line 6 uh, Spider, as far as I know, was done to compete, you know, to go against the Marshall MG. Because the, in the early 2000s, the MGs were selling by hundreds of thousands, you know. I mean, I remember... Mitch, I think it was telling me that MG10, which was maybe a $79 pump or something. Yeah. You know, it was selling like 4000 a month in the US. You know, that's crazy. It's, it's insane. Well, they, it's, they, a, it's something very interesting when, when you have a product that cheap. Um, you have to, I mean, I, the people listening, you have to think about uh, no one's making a lot of money. It, it, it all has to do with quantity. And uh, because you, you look at it, you look at this is a cabinet with a speaker and an amplifier in it. And it's like $79 in the store. Uh, I mean, what does it cost to make it? You know, it's like the store makes X percentage on the product. You know, I don't know who knows what the, that is on that product, but maybe it's 40 percent or something. Let's just let's just hypothetically say. And you take forty percent off that product, you're, you're where? So, so I mean, like I often wonder what did it cost to produce, and what was Marshall actually making on it? I mean, it couldn't have been very much. Well, for sure, you cannot make very much because it's already not much money. Or are they make uh, dollars on it or something? You know? <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't. First of all, the volumes are very big. You yeah. Know? So even if you make uh, three dollars per amp, if you sell ten thousand a month in the whole world, I mean that's already a lot of money. And that's yeah. just one model. Eh? I mean, MG is like seven or yeah. or eight or whatever models. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know the challenge in these amps that everybody says again they are junk. From again from a designer from an engineering point of view, the challenge is actually to be able to make an amp that sounds reasonably good and sells for $79 and everybody makes money. I mean, yeah. that's a challenge. Yeah. Even if <laughs> you tell me that it's a, a distortion pedal with a power amp, which is pretty much what it is. Yeah. Still, I mean, if you get a distortion pedal with a power, with a power amp in the 90s and the 80s, they were really bad, you know I mean? Yeah. Really, really bad. And if you get the current MG, which is still solid state, it's not that bad at all. I mean, you cannot compete with with modeling, but it's not bad for what you pay. I mean, it's quite okay. Yeah. So that was my my next project was a whole range of MGs, which I did already in Hong Kong. That's when we opened the office in Hong Kong. I moved here, hired some kind of engineers. Um, we did the whole the whole MG, which it was it was one of the fastest 
products I have designed. We started in February and in September, the first model were in mass production. I mean, if you ever done amps, that's really, really fast. I was launched in the NAMP show, I think, 2009. And they are still, at the day of today, they are still being sold. I mean, they changed the cosmetics a few times for the MG yeah. range. But the inside, I think, pretty much the same. Maybe some chip was obsolete and you have to change and all, but still the design is the same, which, which I mean, they, is, here we want the same problem as a Behringer could have. It's like, this has to be reliable, because you cannot have 25,000 MG30s that they are breaking. Like, in, like in the, for example, in the previous MG, the problem was the fan. They had a fan for the power arm, and they were all the time making noise. You know, like, thing. Yeah. When, when you, the amp is per perfectly okay, but come on, that's very annoying. You just jam up on them, you have this, this rattling, thing, this horrible noise. So that's that's one of the kind of a, the kind of things that are you re-engineer when doing like a budget amps. So uh, this is a different challenge. I have fun also doing that stuff, even it's not as glamorous as working with these labs, but uh, but it's, it's, it's rewarding in a, it's rewarding in a way that everywhere in the world you go, if you go to a shop, there is one. And you say, hey, you know, I did this. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, they're everywhere. Those amps are everywhere. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's cool. That's cool. And then, so what was the next signature amp that you worked on after that? Okay, after that, um, MG after MG came both Inway and Slash. Actually, Inway came first. And actually, I think Inway came to us when we launched MG or the year after at Nam Show, which is very funny. Um, but then the first one was Ingwe Mustin. Ingwe Mustin approached us at that. And I'm sure I remember, I can tell you a funny story. Because it was an Amsha, it was like a Thursday afternoon. You know, one of the quieter days when when normal, normal people, when only dealers could enter an Amsha. You know, because now it's, it's more like a, like a store than a show. But before it was only dealers. So at some points it was actually quiet. So like a Thursday afternoon, I think, it was very quiet. I was just sitting there in the Marshall booth. And one of the guys, one of the colleagues, came to me and said, Hey, Santiago, Ingo is there asking for you. And I'm like, because I'm, I'm a really huge Ingo fan. You know? So it's like, come on. And everybody knew that. And it's like, you are just teasing me. How? Uh, you know yeah, they're both. Yeah, Ingo is there. Yeah. Right. Ingo is there, and Ingo wanted to talk to you. And I was like, okay. So I go there and I there is Ingwei with his wife and like you know like two two security guards. So I just try to approach. Uh, of course, security guards stop me. So I tell them, I am the guy from Marshall, and then Ingwei see me already with Marshall. He said, "Who's there? Everybody, this is the guy from Marshall. Guy from Marshall here." <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, eh, hello, you know, I mean, it's super nervous. Come on, it's like meeting your hero for the first time. And then he would just come with the whole idea. You know, I want to make this big head. I want to make this handle watch head big as this. You know, like my horse, just big. I want this. Uh, I want the booster inside. I want my gate inside. And I want this master volume that works after the power up. That's the request from from Ingwe. You know, like, like the attenuator. 
Um, it's like, okay, okay, yeah, I mean, it seems doable. We have to develop the, the attenuation, but the rest is, of course, a 1959 with, with a DOD pedal. I mean, it's, it's easy in a way. So we had a couple of meetings with Ingrid, and he, he went to England and kind of narrowed the specs, and I started developing the, the attenuation, the autobias and the attenuation. But just by, by chance, at, the, at that time is when it started to be the anniversary of the appetite for destruction for uh, Guns N' Roses. Um, again, it's last and slash matchmen. I don't know who approached who anyway. Everybody saw a good idea to release a signature amp for this last as well um, to, 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 to make it match with the, with the appetite for destruction. No, this is a good uh, advertisement for everybody. So that's when I started developing also the, the slash the slash amp. So we took the, the part of the, the attenuation that was done for uh, for Engway, and then because the slash had the, the deadline, you know, it had to be launched by the anniversary. So it kind of took priority over the Ingui Mamstin amp. But I was say it was more or less done at the same time. And, um, then this last, of course, had all these, uh, you know, VPOs and all that stuff that marketing decided to, to go ahead with. Just, just because um, you and we announced and now we're going to do this last hump, you cannot just disappear for one year and um, say, okay, here it is. So in a way to keep people engaged, uh, we decided to, to show people how to, how the hump was developed. So that's why all the AFD, uh, videos were online. Actually, that's the first time I met uh, Dave was in recording one of those videos when we launched the, the AFD in, uh, in, in, uh, in Hollywood in the SIR. Or this is SIR, but no, Mates. Mates. Was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. that the first time? That's the first time we met, yes. We went, was a slash there and was the recording stuff, and we did the launch of the AFD. So if you go to YouTube and you search for AFD 100 launch, mm. it's, uh, you were there. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's funny. You know, I don't even remember this. <laughs> yes. I don't know, I remember. I mean, you were doing things for his last. You were doing the, the, his, his amps or something. Uh, no, yeah, his yeah. I do remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So let's, let's before we go into the, uh, the Slash Amp, Let's go back to the Ingve amp. Um, how was it working with Ingve and uh, you know and developing the amp? And... He, he starts. He starts to laugh. He's looking like he's gonna laugh. <laughs> I'm going to laugh because you know everybody asks. Everybody, you know, everybody asks this question, and everybody wants me to tell how an asshole. I don't know if I'm sure you know what an a-hole Ingve is, and I'm sorry to say about. It was so much fun. I mean, I love the guy, and uh, oh, I don't great. know why. I mean, we came along really well, uh, probably because, let's say, I mean, I come from Marshall's side, so for him, Marshall is like, you know, he has huge, he has huge respect. Yeah, he has huge respect for Marshall. Exactly, exactly. It's not that I'm not a guitar player playing opening for him, which probably would be different, you know. But uh, as, as once he said, it's like, we are not in the 80s anymore. You know, when I was talking about this stuff with him, actually, 
about uh, what do you think about other people, maybe another artist come now and you're in the side table, and then his answer was like, hey, we're not in the 80s anymore. So I think he already also, you know, probably put down a little bit, but anyway, with, with me it was super fun, you know, I mean, I did the AMP, I designed the prototype, built program, all the stuff, then I sent it just before Anamcio, and actually, I remember it because it was the day before I was flying, I was in Hong Kong, I was going to fly next day to, to LA, and he called me at my 2 a.m. Hong Kong time, and he lives in Miami, you know, so it's 2 p.m. in, in, in Miami. Mm -hmm. So the phone rings, I say, Ingui number there, uh, Ingui, and I am like, shit, something happened, you know, I mean, why is he calling me at 2 a.m. Hong Kong time? Something happened. He doesn't like it, or he broke down. You know, exploded something. So I, I am like, so the answer or not? I always can't say I'm sleeping. <laughs> but anyway, I decide. Okay, see, I ask. I, I, I ask. Hey, and hey, hello, and hey, Ingui J here. You know, this is Ingui J. He's like, well, hi, hi, Ingui, how are you? And then he's like, you know, man, this up, this up, this that's fucking awesome. It sounds so good. The tone is so good. Actually, I am recording with it. Bye. You know. I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm like, wow, I think he liked it, you know? And it's, that, that's my experience with Angry. And then uh, sometime later on, uh, Paul Marshall, who, who was the, the artist relationship by then, and myself, we went to Miami, we visited him. I mean, he invited us to, to his house, we were sitting. Yeah, his living room, playing with his cat and watching, watching uh, uh, what was uh, Jimi Hendrix on his 90-inches TV or whatever he had there, while talking a bit about business and so on. I mean, it was, was super fun. He drove, he drove us in his Ferrari around Miami. You know, I mean, nice. What, what can I say? Right, you can. Then, yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every time I meet him, either in in. I'm sure, or maybe sometimes they come here on tour or whatever. I mean, they always treat me. I say they because it's he or uh, his wife, you know. Mm -hmm. April, they always give me VIP treatment, you know, like. So, what can I say that the guy is an a-hole? I'm sorry, but not, not to me, you know. Yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, you know, people's reputation sometimes gets a little blown out of proportion, um, right? And. Uh, so that's awesome. I'm glad he was cool to you. That's that's super cool. It's, it's and, know, when uh, working with, with uh, no, go ahead. When working with uh, artists, especially when they are artists that they are like your heroes, you know, which to me was pretty much Joshua Tree and Ingrid Mountain that were both, you know, my like my inner gods, let's say. The the first question you have always is like, will I like the guy? You know, because if, if for example, the guy <clears throat> comes out and is a real a-hole, it's very difficult to work, you know? Imagine yeah. you have to sit with somebody which actually doesn't respect you or, or they just don't, you know? And luckily enough, all of them, you know, perfect. So, so it's just relieving, but imagine just for business reasons, you have to do an amplifier with somebody and, and he doesn't like you and you don't like him or both, you know, but you still have to do it. It's, it's difficult. It's, it's right. Difficult. 
So what about Slash? How did that come about? Slash is another one that is like super nice and shy guy. I mean, if, if you ever meet Slash, you will know that he's a... I mean, you can always guess when you see it on the stage that he's just on his own, you know, cloud there. Yeah, but he's a very down-to-earth, nice, you know, shy, shy guy. It uh, was very easy, again, to work with him. It's a bit more difficult in the sense that, of course, Slash is a Slash, so you have more barriers to reach him, you know, like yeah. the management and the security. It's not that you can just go and ask, hey, Slash, I want to go backstage. It doesn't work. You, know, you, you have to go through the... Right. Which always makes it difficult. Yes. Oh. But not, not because of him, but just because the way he's... Let's say his business is, is yeah. you know, I mean, come on, this is nice. It's like, uh, there's no higher than that. So, so you have one more barriers to approach him, but I mean, at some point of, obviously, you can pass the barriers, actually. I mean, I, he, he gave me his, his, his contact, right? So I could actually reach him as, oh, but see, you respect it. One of the reasons why people like to work with you is when you respect them, you know, you are not going to be calling, hey, it's last, can I, can I have a free t-shirt, you know, it's stupid. But, um, Anyway, we worked with him. We met him several times over the over the months doing all these videos and the, the development. I also met him a couple of times here in Asia because he was touring by then. So I met him in here in Hong Kong. I met him in Singapore as well when his his tours because it's obviously easier for me to, to travel when doing the AFD hundred and the the AFD five SL five small combo and. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, at some point he put the prototype on tour, which the one with the snake skin, uh, sorry, the camouflage, this one with camouflage in the video. And that was on tour, and then he decided I want to tweak this a little bit, and then they came, the, the amplifier came out. So again, we did the prototype, I sent to him, uh, we arranged again a video to be recorded in, a, in, in Hollywood in a studio that he proposed. And it's another funny story, but um, so we went there again on the video crew, Paul Marshall, myself, Slash, actually Billy, Go Billy Gibbons was by then, you know, there by then. And so start, so let's go on and start trying the amp. So he plugs into the AFD prototype. And oh, man, it sounded like crap, you know? I mean, oh, really? all the video, eh? it's all being recorded. So you're planning, so it sounds like this, muffled, I don't know how, if, if imagine you take your guitar, you roll down the tone control and you lower a little bit the volume and then you try to play heavy metal, you know, right, it just right. doesn't work, it sounds just awful. So everybody starts looking at me and I'm like, eh, well, I'm sure the amp didn't sound like this, you know, and uh, it's like, well, you try, so I no, 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 I'm you know, this is, this is wrong. So I go, I go into the into the room and I, I see there's nothing wrong. Then somebody is last says, okay, let's try another arm. So we take another motion, we put it there, connects the cable, and then it's last says, well, it sounds even worse. And then it just came out that the studio, it was the wiring was wrong, you know? And uh, so we changed the cable, we changed the wiring and started sounding like it should be sunny, so you can imagine me like, oh man, you know, this was tough. 
and uh, at that moment, Slash, you know, just gets the guitar, just puts the guitar aside, and he comes, hey, Santiago, let me give you a hug, you know? So yes, he hugs me, so it was like, you know, I was like, Slash tells me, I was trying to be, you know, to try to, to, to lower it, because I was like thinking, these guys came all the way to here to show me this, you know? And I'm like, sorry, sorry, I, if it's like this, I would not come either, you know? But uh, it was super, at the moment, I was, I was a bit tense, you know? I was like, I started wearing maybe, maybe, maybe it needs a bit more height, so maybe it needs a bit more gain. It's like, no, 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 this is wrong, it's less. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't, don't try to be nice, this I'm afraid it's wrong. Wow. Until we finally found out what's going on. And then uh, the, the amplifier came out, was launched, and it sold out straight away. And, uh, and there you are, another one that much did limit. So to get the tones on that amp, I mean, you had a, you had a, a what, what did you use to kind of get, get the tones and match the tones on that amp to, you know, the album? And then I think it has, it has the 39 switch, I think, or something like that, right? Well, he yes. has, he has the 34 amp. That 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 he acquired from SIR, um, but that wasn't the original amp, uh, the, the AFD amp. Um, but he does have that one. I've worked on that. Talk about bright. That's bright as hell. I mean, talk about bright. I mean, you have to play really loud to, to compress all the highs. So yeah, yeah, you got to play really loud. Keep the brights down a bit, and it sounds good then, though. Yeah, I mean, that, that's how actually when we first met the Slash, um, he had the, the, that amp there, the 34, and then he told us, okay, this is what I used for the next album, I think for the Just Your Illusion or whatever, I keep using this amp, and then I use a Jubilee for the clean and so on. And, but uh, for he explained what he remembered, I used to use that 30, whatever, I mean, 39, 36, or whatever the number is, which sounded very good, but then he got lost nobody you know all the legend started yeah. I mean, that legend is there since the 90s right um, and uh, it's like a, mm, we don't have any reference i mean there is no amp so what to do so i asked slash do you have any master tapes you know any any master recording from 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 the album from appetite for destruction and i said yeah actually those were uh, you know, digitalized or something, and we can we can give you the the tracks if you want. So he gave me the uh, what's the song? The, the it's probably from Night rock, Train. It's probably from Rock Band. Yeah, Night guitar, Train or Guitar Hero. Those tracks. Yeah, that's cool. Night Train. Well, uh, he, he gave me the original. You know, the original recording right. of of AFD, and he gave me the whole master. So I have the tracks of the slides. I have a. Uh, uh, Axel singing. Oh, wow, and, awesome. Yeah, yeah, it, amazing. It's actually amazing to see the to, to see to hear the whole song track by track. And I have to say that Axel sings really well. You know, I mean, when you hear it without the band behind, it's like, wow, this guy can impressive. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's a great album. This guy can, yeah. So that that's how that's the reference we had. Oh, okay, that's awesome. I mean, Personally, I, I was following the, the 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 story of the amp since the internet started. You know, and I'm talking yeah. about like late '90s when internet was just the news. You know, you go to the the, 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 the news. You know, it's all text. 
and now there are these news forums that and there was already people talking about what this AFDR. Yeah, yeah, the old, the old uh, news groups, the Usenet news groups, yeah. Alt-Rec, and yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I was there, I was there already. Um, and that's, that's, I mean, you already knew that it was kind of a, a JCMA handle with an extra gain, which you could guess anyway, but uh, of course the, the trick is to kind of make it sound as it should have something that makes yeah. any sense. Um, again, I mean, some people love it, some people tell you, ah, oh, it's completely different to what the album sounds or whatever. It's like, <laughs> fine. I mean, the guy is happy, I am happy, the company is happy. He recorded, I think, two albums with it, and he went on tour also a couple of years with the AFDs. And, uh, and, and there you are. I mean, it's a sought after amp. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, that, those amps. That amp and the uh, the Jubilee model that has his signature on it also. That mod, those models sell so fast. No, the thing is that those those early Jubilees and also the Sack Wild, which were just rebatched, you know, and just yeah, changed right. the component, they were very very limited. I think just a couple hundred, so three hundred or something. I mean, I forgot. But uh, of course, old Marshalls always get. You know the price go up, especially if they are like as limited special edition or something. But yeah, they are definitely sought after. And same as the YJM, I don't think you can find that many uh, second hand already. I mean, if you go to eBay or something like that, I think there are that many. I, I looked just the other day, just just for shits and giggles. I went on Reverb. I saw one, I believe that was like was over thirty six hundred, thirty seven hundred dollars. Still, they they retain their prices. Those amps. It was two thousand five hundred neo, I think. Oh, was it really? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So it's actually coming up. Wow. Yeah, yes, it's going up. That's interesting. So there was a question earlier. Did you work on the um, the Ju Jubilee reissue amp as well? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that that's that's uh, that's actually what I. That's, that was done after the Joshua training apps. That was done because everybody kept asking, we want a Jubilee, we want a Jubilee, we want a Jubilee, you know. So there was discussion in, in the company of what to do is if do a one-to-one -one reissue of the Jubilee as it was done in the, in the, you know, in the 80s, or do something that doesn't have the problems that the older Jubilees had, you know. Because again, the, the Jubilees had some some issues, especially with the switching, you know, the relays and so on. So the decision was to put it modern in our sense of a construction-wise. I mean, the circuit is original Jubilee. Actually, it's based on the Jubilee that's in the Marshall Museum. Marshall has a collection of amps there, so we took the Jubilee from there to have as a reference, and then we re-engineer the the mechanics. So the PCB is new. But we kept everything as it was. Actually, if, if you see the Jubilee, is probably one of the nicest Marshall being construction-wise. And it's all done in black, with cloth wire, with metal pots, with external bias points. Yeah, that's black. nice. I own yeah. one. I, ha I had the I had the amp. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. It was. I mean, like you said, the, aesthetically, it was really nice. There's people who claim that it sounds different than the original. 
do you what, what are your thoughts on that well i mean yes the thing is that you're talking about an amp that the original one is like 1985 or whatever it was seven and um but the, the way people are comparing them in many cases actually even mass and so on is that they get both amps side to side and they put the knobs on the same you know in the same position and the tolerance of the pots in the old amps is so big you know that moving the for example the middle from 12:30 to one o'clock you know just just a little bit has such a huge effect in that amp because the tone control is really really responsive mm. that you can say that the issue sounds brighter than the original but if you take the issue and you move the tone control just you know half notch back then there you are so right there is no reason why it will sound different because actually the amp is the same it's based on on the sample that is in the in the Marshall office it's measured everything and of course the things like that potentiometer tolerances in this case you cannot you cannot avoid that you know why this is but the, but the schematic is the same I and mean, it's the same oh, one same, yeah, same, yes, same amp yeah yeah interesting yeah so I mean it's a it's a cool listen amp. with your ears not to look Right, right. Use an amp switcher to. You, if you're going to really A B something, you need an amp switcher that does it in real time into the same cabinet. I'll and be you right need back. Dial, dial the amps in, you know, until they sound the same, regardless of what the setting is. But, you know, some people go purposely to make it sound different, just to, to, to make it look dumb, you know. Again, to all East Marshall, for whatever reason, it's like. They have to go and, and, and say they modified it. It's like, well, no, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you just got to do what I said, you know, and, and you have to do it blindly. You can't look at them either because the person looking at it is going to go, no, the old one's better because I'm looking at it. Exactly. They know which one they're on. You go, no, turn your back. Now I'm yes. switching for you. Okay, now you tell me which is which. If they can't guess it consecutively, then... I mean, it's, it's, it's always the same with, with reissues, and it's always a, a problem when you reissue something is that this, this question will come out, always. Yeah. Even if it sounds better, whatever better means, people then will complain that it doesn't sound as bad as the original. So it's, it's, it's always a loose... You know, again, but you will lose in that particular thing. But again, if you look, if you take this out and the other side out and you get the whole picture, it was a very well received amp. I don't know how successful it is or not because, I mean, I don't know. This is still a 100 watt set, and as you know, 100 watt sets is not a huge market anymore. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yes. I think so. Yes, I mean, you're, you're in different place of the market, but I guess the, the less and less people, not, maybe not in the US, but in the rest of the world, the 100 watt sets are probably not that as popular as it used to be. But still, from, from a company like Marshall, you know, having an issue of, of one or two amps per decade, I think is quite interesting. I mean, they have the 99, the 87, the, the, the 800s, and the Jubilee, the, the 900s, the 2000, so many fits there. It's, it's quite a a nice, nice sound in the range. I think uh, 
I think they're still making them. I don't know. Saturday, I don't really know how their policy of Marshall right. nowadays is for keeping arms in production. Yeah, they they have a tendency to not. Uh, yeah, I they always know. seem to they always seem to discontinue the cool ones too. <laughs> I don't know what why. Can I say? You know, I'm not sure why that is, but it, it, it always seems to that seems to be that some poor decisions have been made over time. I mean, it's not about finger pointing. I, I also think it's about the company itself, the brand. Yeah. I mean, not not necessarily about the people in the company, but as a as a brand. If, for example, they launch some some app like a UV, let's say. And the second year, the orders aren't that good. Maybe from a company point of view, they are not interested in keeping the app. So it's, it's, I mean, I saw that happen. And it's like, so they keep it in like, you can order it. I mean, we're still making it, but you have to order the app. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I understand in a way why a company like Marshall does that, because you cannot have that many, you know, models being produced all the time that we actually are not selling and sometimes and that's also true people say they are discontinued and they are not it's just that in many cases the u.s distributor doesn't carry them yeah so you can buy it in england you can buy in germany you can buy here but you cannot buy it in the u.s because the u.s distributor decided that it's not worth for them to keep those arms or to handle those arms yeah, so it's, it's a bit of a, of a again, it's, it's not, not a person, the company, but a company thing. And, and if the guy up here sees the numbers, he may say it's not worth to import five jubilees. You know? So yeah, well, that makes sense. There. That makes sense because there was a period of time where I thought that the silver jubilee was discontinued, um, the 100 watt version. And I was like, oh, okay, awesome. Now the amp is going to go up in value, blah, 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 blah. Little did I know that they just wasn't selling in the U.S. But if I went to Anderton's website and looked on their website, they, they had 100-watt models all day. But if you go to Sweetwater or wherever it was at the time, they didn't have any of those models. So, interesting. Yeah. I, actually, I think the first order of the Jubilee uh, was huge from the US. You know, they ordered a lot of Jubilees and probably they had a stock for three years. Probably. So obviously the second year they don't order they don't order anymore. And then probably is when some people see the Excel file and says, okay, five hundred zero zero, okay, it's continue. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's luckily for from an engineer that's the thing that is right. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> right. Your your work's already done. So, that's funny. That's funny. So, um, so you mentioned Joe Satriani. Did you work with Joe Satriani also? Oh yeah, Joe Satriani. Actually, I keep working with, with Joe. Um, Joe Satriani was the last, the last signature uh, Marshall did actually, and it's the last hundred watts head with Jim Marshall signature on the front. Um, I didn't know. Do you know a sample? Yeah, I didn't know that. It is, it is. Because when, when Jim uh, passed, it was decided that 
new arms will not have a James uh, signature front, obviously, you know. Mm. He's not there, he cannot send the app. So, so that, that was why then, yeah, yeah, his JVM is the, the last uh, amp with the James signature. Anyway, Joe approached us, actually, that was how it happened. It's not that Barnes went after him because he was unhappy with PD for whatever reason. Um, and uh, he came to Marshall. I think he was he was on a G3 tour with Paul Gilbert. Um, I forgot the, the other guy. Maybe John Petrucci. I don't, I don't know. Well, anyway, I forgot. Then it doesn't matter. So by then, Paul Gilbert was already back, in Mar back with Marshall. He was playing Marshall. And Joe saw and it was like, oh, I have to improve my tone. That was what Joe told us. Is like, and I saw Paul with the Marshall sounding quite good. And I always was a Marshall player. He always plays actually 59s and, and the 30th anniversary. So he came to Marshall and asked, can I play a Marshall? So Marshall set him the, whole, the complete range. You know, He's, he actually. Some people from Marshall drove, or Marshall and somebody else drove from England to, I think, from Hungary or somewhere like that, with a car full of Marshall heads. Um, he chose a JVM, actually. He had complete freedom to choose whatever amp he wanted. And he chose the JVM because he said, it's the first time I can play an amp without having to use the distortion pedal, just because of that. You know. So um, he started playing the JVMs, uh, then for actually for marketing reasons, he used the JVM to channel uh, with chicken food. So he was doing with chicken food with the JVM, he recorded with them. And after one year, one and a half year, is when I started talking about doing the signature for Joe, after he was more familiar with the amp. And that, that's when he started telling us more what he liked and what he didn't like and what to change and what not to change. And that's how we did the, the JVM for then Joe Satriani. Um, again, it's the same process as always, just do a prototype, send the amp to him, change this, change that, then go back until at some point it says thumbs up, and then the amp goes into production. And um, he's been using it all the time, even now he's not with Marshall anymore, he still keeps using it. And he seems, he seems quite happy. Actually, at some point, maybe one half year ago or something, after he left Marshall, you know, he sent me a message, text, and said, Santiago, you know, uh, I was looking again for my tone. He's always looking around. I was looking again. I was. I tried all these amps. I tried this, I tried that. But at the end, you know what? I still like the Joe Satriani Marshall the best. And he's like, well, see if you're happy with it, just Yes, use it, you know, I mean, you're free now. If, if he doesn't like it, it's easy for him to just, yes, that doesn't have to promote it, so it's easy for him to, to put it in the, back, in the, right. in the warehouse. So, yeah, and, and with, with Joe, just before I left Marshall, we did a small combo, 20 watts combo, that never never saw the light. It was a three-channel 20 watts uh, Joe Shatriani combo. But at the end, it happened that, that way that he was already kind of trying to move on. I also was going to move on. And then Marshall decided to to not even launch the amp, even if it's uh, finished. Hmm. Why, why do you think that was? 
Well, it's just, again, I mean, if Joe wants to quit Marshall, why would you launch Marshall? That's true. That's true. I, I, I was already not there. The AMP was, let's say, 99% finished, a couple of touches to be to be done, but the AMP is, I mean, it's finished. Actually, it was a quite nice, quite nice combo. He recorded some stuff with it. And, um, but then it's like, I'm not there. The Marshall is also not that interest, interested from a business point of view. Because again, Marshall wanted to, to stop doing signature amps. And Joe is also kind of wanted to move on. So it was like, okay, if nobody wants to do it, then Move on. Right. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so, uh, have you seen the the newer lines of Marshall's amps that they've come out with? Like I, the, I've seen. I've seen some. I mean, uh, I worked on the code, the, the, the modeling app. That's the last okay. I did for Marshall. Yeah. And I worked on the origin. You know, the Marshall origin. Actually, the, the Original origin, if that makes sense, it's my design. But um, when I left, they changed it. Okay? So, uh, for whatever reason. But, um, the, uh, yeah, the, the origin used to be, um, had more character than it has now. I mean, it's not a bad amp as it is, but it's a bit generic, if that word makes sense. You know, like a, just an amp that you put with your pedals. The, the previous one, I mean, the one I left there was more, it was more like, uh, <clears throat> you know, the 1974, the 20 watts Marshall, the 18 watts. Yeah. So, so it was something like a 1974 with a bit of higher gain Maverick to a box AC30 with EL34, you know. So it yeah. was some, that kind of, um, I had a river and it had an attenuator on the back. So you could play it like a 0.1 watts, you know, you can distort because most of the distortion or the, the tone of that amp comes from the power amp. Or at least half of the tone comes from the power amp. So if you want to play at home, you cannot, um, even one watt is super loud, you know. So yeah. it had an attenuator on the back and they, they remove all that stuff, which again, you have to ask uh, them why it was the case. But um, mm -hmm. I, I did the initial works on, on, on the origin and on the, on the code, and um, but I mean, the thing is that at the end, before leaving Marshall, my last three years in Marshall, I mean, I was the CTO of Marshall, so I was involved, maybe not personally doing myself the development, but for example, on the DSL and the, the on the DSL, the new DSL, you know, the ones that are now out, River and so on, that that range was also started when I was when I was there. I mean, I don't know exactly again what they put in the market after I left, but um, that's more or less my last involvement with uh, with uh, Marshall. But yeah, I mean, for Marshall, I think I did like 50 or 60 amps. You know? I mean, personal, like PCB and, and, and so on. Designs. Yes. Yeah, that's Individual cool. models. I mean, if you take MG, there are like 11 models. Okay, there are 11 amps. So it's, it's not it's not a bad run, you know. It's quite quite proud of it. Yeah, you should be. That's I mean, Marshall's. Uh, I mean, that's that's what we all grew up on. I think, right, Dave? I mean, you grew up on Marshall. Absolutely, so. I have great great respect for Marshall. So yeah, you know, that's that's I, that I wouldn't exist without them. It's the same. I mean, so 
it's, 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 it's an honor to be a martial engineer. It's like, it's just like a dream of, of, you know, when you're a kid and you see your heroes playing martials and then you are the one doing the martial for your heroes. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, what, 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 I mean, I'm sure they come and That's say great. the same. Like, what, what yeah. else can you aim for? Yeah, 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 you know? exactly. Exactly. So when did you leave Marshall? When, when, when was that? I will, I left in 2016, uh, May, I think it was, three plus years ago. And then um, we parted ways in a more or less friendly way, let's say. I mean, as I tell you, I was a CTO of Marshall and I had a direction I would like to have taken. And Marshall, the other guys had a different view of of how the company should go on, you know. I mean, um, they do make beer now. <laughs> yes, they do maybe in wallets. The thing is that all the stuff is, is out of R and D, you know. I mean, all this life—they call it lifestyle yeah. products, you know. The, 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 the speakers for home, the Bluetooth stuff, the earphones, all that stuff—it's it's all licensed stuff. So we, as designers, we don't get involved on that. Maybe just to do listening test or something, but we don't design that. And then Marshall has their own R&D, right? Mm -hmm. So by then what my plans or what I would like to have done is, for example, the amps, the amp construction should be done like the, for example, like the Jubilee lab, you know, with a proper CVS, proper wiring, proper cosmetics, something that actually people open it and say, Wow, this is really well built. Mm -hmm. Even yeah. if the same materials as the other ones, but people will say this is really well built. This is quality, right? So I want to do, for example, the JBM, all the made in UK apps like like that, which some people said we sell the same. We don't care about this. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to to move to start researching a bit, like in. Class D stuff and high-end digital things like that, you know, like you know where the market has actually gone. And again, some people was more like, why do we have to, to spend that much money in R and D when we are doing well with what we have and so on? I mean, anyway, company decisions. You can see Marshall now. You can see what they are doing. <clears throat> so for me personally, it's like, yeah, but I don't want to be my whole life doing 1959 three issues because I mean. <laughs> What's the what's exciting about another 1959 release, right? Right. So right. that's that's when I personally started using illusion. I don't know, like happiness. I don't know how you call it when you you go to work, but it starts becoming a job rather than a, something you enjoy, right? So um, I had my my own goals or things I wanted to do more more than a 1959 ratio and uh, Marshall didn't didn't have this the same will so we decided to to part ways mm -hmm. so that that's that's why I left I mean it's just, that that's how the whole splitting process started I mean I would be happy as I told them by then I would be happy designing Marshalls if you want but I don't want to be CTO, you know, technical director and deal with all the company stuff. It's, I'm not, I'm just not interested. You know, I'm a designer, not a politician. So uh, <clears throat> we decided that the, probably the best is just, just move on. They have this, as I said, their own company, you know, plans. I have my plans and I'm 
amounts, right? And I set up my own design company. I'm doing quite well. I mean, I'm doing things I really enjoy. Not only guitar amps now. I mean, I'm doing a lot of pro audio and um, even firmware and stuff, which which is actually is like a hobby in a way. Also, when you work for yourself, you don't have this nine to six or eight to five office hours either. So you just work when you are inspired or if you are tired on a Wednesday afternoon, you don't have to be in the office. I mean, it's, it's actually it's so much more productive. Uh, I think at the day of today, I don't want to go back to, to office to work, you know? Once you've reached that, it's this degree of freedom. So, so this is quite, it's quite good. I mean, I'm pretty pleased to be able to still do uh, things I really like, like a hobby, you know, things that you don't have to force yourself and still make a living out of it. Right. So you have your own business. You're still doing consulting and those types of things? Yeah, I'm doing designs. Electronic designs, yeah, consulting. You, you may say it that way to 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 other people. I mean, I'm, I'm working. I can say like a couple of names people know. Who I'm working with, for example, I'm working with with Softil. You know, the guys in in Sweden. They do mostly plugins, but they also have a hardware stuff. So I didn't know hardware. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I did a couple of uh, couple of base amps for Blackstar, for example, the last uh, Unity amps of Blackstar. I did that with with them. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the Taisco pedals that Harmony in Singapore did. That's the, a couple of them, a couple of two amps, and you see, I keep, I keep uh, here and there quite. Designer quite. for hire. <laughs> in a way, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, you got the credentials, so that's cool. Um, you know, let me go to some questions. I don't know, Dave, unless you have a question. Um, oh, there's tons of questions. Yeah, there's one from here from um, from Andre Nye. Nye. By the way, Santiago, why was the Marshall Class 5 so bassy? He says, did you work on the Class 5 at all? or? I didn't do the Class 5, no. That was a Steve Dawson, the one that did the vintage model. It's, I don't know, I mean, I haven't played too much. Um, I think it's the way the ambit is and the way actually Steve also plays. He likes to play very loud and he uses, for example, a strat. So once you go there, you play very loud and you play hard, probably you can get along with the bass. You know, because uh, that, that's a funny thing, for example, the bass is like playing thick strings on a guitar. You know, if you don't have attack, it sounds just like a, like a bass that just fades in, yeah. right? So in, a, in an amp, it's the same. For example, you get a JVM and you put the game full, you, you may say it's too basic, but if you have the proper attack on the, on the, on the basic strings, you will have the, the, you know, the, the, the attack and you will balance yourself the, the base of the amp. So maybe you can say that maybe the class five is not the amp for you. You, know? I mean, it's, you can try to modify it, but again, when people start modifying, it means that they are already not happy, probably, with the amp. So. Yeah. Uh, I think it also depends which one they had. If they had the combo or they may have had the head. True. Also, the combo may have sounded a little farty, you know. But, you know, but he was saying with the attack and the player, I totally understand that because, mm -hmm. because uh, you know, there's some players, like, like, for instance, like the 1959 circuit, you know, uh, Super Lead Marshall, the bright channel 
some people, uh, you know, well, like Van Halen would turn everything on 10, you know, just everything across the board on 10. Some people say that that's too muddy and, and they have to, they turn their bass off on those amps. And to me, well, I mean, I'm specifically talking about the super lead bright circuit um, because there's many variations of that four input Marshall. Um, and it's all about the attack. It's, I, it's, it's about the attack and your string gauge and your pickups and everything comes into play. I've heard people plug into amps like that and sound just awful just so bad that you, you you're looking at the amp going I, is this broken you know did it break it was sounding good and then the next guy will come in from and play the same amp same setting same everything and you're like oh my god that's the best thing i've ever heard and you know it's it's in the hands a lot, a lot of it's in the hands on how on how that uh translates you know one of the reasons i always requested to meet uh the artist, you know, to do the signature, to do an initial meeting with them, it's just to see how they play. Because yeah. you just have to see how, you know, how they attack and, and that stuff. Because it's so different. I mean, I can do an amp, as, as they just said, that it sounds awful, and maybe the guy sounds, you know, spot on, just great. But it's just because that they, physically, they, the way you are picking, for example, you know, or the strings you are using, or both, or the pick up, the string, yeah. the pick, you know, everything, everything. And uh, when you're working with an artist, that's you're doing an amp for him, not for yourself. So, so it's really, really important. And um, I had a discussion with it was with Josh Atrani talking about, talking about string age. Like uh, he used maybe 9.42 or 10.52, depending on if he tunes maybe half step down, whatever. And we were talking about using thicker string on the bass. And he's the one who said, yeah, you can do that. It's easier to play. I mean, you're, you're almost just, you know, hammer on and it sounds. But it's like you have a fade in on every note instead of, of the the attack of the of the pick. And if you don't have picking a strength like I don't have, for example, you have a thick string, it sounds awful because you cannot physically pick that that string. And maybe Eddie Van Halen can do it, you know. I mean, that's not yeah. comparing with Eddie, but people that have very physical... Well, I always said too, you know, a lot of those great players and that from the classic players used very light strings, like the, the Billy Gibbons and the Tony Iommi's and the, and and even Eddie Van Halen. He, you know, originally that that was nine, not nine to two, nine to forty, and it was dropped a half step. So, uh, yes, that is it's light, very light, and uh, and there's something about that also with that amp combination and with the attack on the guitar that that really that it's different i mean people like like Dave mustang which is very physical player i mean he plays he takes a jv and he puts again on 10 you know on the od2 channel game 10 is insane and he said because he picks very very hard he can get the you know the the, the, the sound out he even tunes a slightly lower pitch because he, he presses the string so hard that goes sharp. So it's it's, it's all, all a combination. Again, going back to the class five, it's like maybe you can experiment with that. You know, maybe with thicker strings or with thinner strings, 
Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid of using AIDS, just because people in the forum say that AIDS is more pussies, you know what I mean? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe a word for him. I mean, it's, it's yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, Another question from Andre Nee. Uh, was there ever talk at Marshall to make a Golden Jubilee 50th anniversary flagship amp instead of the one watt amps? Both, yes. Actually, that amp exists. Uh, that amp was never finished. Uh, that amp was presented to several artists in London 2012 when the 50th anniversary concert. I was there with the amp. Um, I mean, I cannot get details for obvious reasons what the amp itself was, mm. but it was there. And at the end, it didn't happen for many, like a perfect storm, I guess. I think the whole thing started too late, probably because nobody knew that that year was the 50th anniversary. And um, then, because obviously, because Jim, Jim passed, and the thing got a bit strange the company and the one watts were there but yeah yeah the, to answer the question yes there is there is a there was a 50 watts a 50 watts a 50 50 year anniversary 100 watts which oh. uh, i did yeah wow and those one watt amps were pretty cool oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. when did they when did those come out 2012 Oh, those, those came out the, in 2012 also. Interesting. That's the, the, because 2012 is the 50th, 50th anniversary. anniversary. So, okay. so, yeah, I, I did the DSL-1 and the JVM-1 of those. And they are quite okay. Actually, I know some people using them to record. Um, yeah. And it was, actually, it was just a couple of weeks ago, just by chance. I don't know if you know a band, uh, in a Swedish band called Hammerfall. I mean, this uh, heavy metal European, well, if you are into heavy European, heavy metal, power metal, etc., I mean, they're quite... Yeah, quite I think Yeah. I mean, they were martial guys and so um, They use maybe Kemper or whatever life, or effects or whatever life. But the guys record with the JVM1, you know? And it's like, wow! No, and I know more more, more people do that, but that's that's the one that came now, because I just saw it like a couple of weeks ago. They're nice, nice little lamps. Expensive, but uh, you know, I think they come out quite well. Like, they represent quite well what they try to, to be honest. Yeah, and yeah. they sold. Yeah, I mean, th- those things sell and they continue to sell. If someone lists them, they're gone like that, especially the uh, the, the JTM. I think there's a JTM one, yeah, there was a JTM. I mean, there was the JTM, there was the Plexi, whatever, J, JMP or J, JMP. I, I like the JMP one, yeah. 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 And then there was the 800, and then the DSL and the JVM. Right. was the full branch. The thing is that they started the launch, you know, so they say, okay, from January, we launched the JTM, then in March, we launched the, the JMP, then in, you know, whatever, June, we launched the 800. And then we launched the JVM in December, and then end of 2012, they're over. It's like, well, no wonder the, the JTM will sell more than the JVM, because you get one year, and the other one has like two months. You know? Yeah. So yeah. it's a, a, funny, a funny way of marketing, but... Uh, was, in, that, I mean, was, was that a challenge 
to get that to uh, one watt, the JVM to one watt, and uh, pack all as much features as you could into that little box. Well, the one watt JVM idea was just uh, clean and oldy. You know, I mean, obviously you cannot put that much stuff physically it doesn't fit. And the JVM, the good thing is that most of what is happening there is pre-armed, so it's easier to scale. I mean, you have to balance, of course, because one watt you can use a little bit more of the power and distortion normal use. But it was it was not that difficult to be honest. I mean, it's one of those that you put together and it sounds good straight away. Sometimes happens, you know. I mean, sometimes you have to tweak a lot, but sometimes it just comes out and it's like, okay, don't touch them. <laughs> it worked. That's good. Um, so there's a question from Dan Pfeiffer. He says, hey, Dave, differences between the Dirty Shirley and the Dirty Shirley Mini? I'm looking to pick up one of those soon. Well, preamp section is exactly the same, and the power sections are different. <laughs> I mean, the power section, uh, you know, on the little one is uh, EL84s and uh, no tube rectifier, and uh, so it's a... Tw I mean, basically... They're basically the same kind of amp. It's just that with the big one, you're going to have more headroom. But technically, the tone should sound very close. Very similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, more guitars. Guys, I'm just about to order a Wildwood Edition small box 50 to go with my Runt 50 and Dirty Shirley 40 of your catalog. If I'm looking for a Plexi, is that the one to get, Dave? Multi-flavored Plexi? Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, I would get that. I love the small box series. It's great. And that just has an extra channel, so why not? Yeah. The Wildwood stuff is very cool. Yeah. Um, they always have me do custom things for them, you know. They always want they always want a new amp every year or something different. <laughs> yeah. They're so great. it's generally a variation on a on an amp, you know, something that we can do custom for. Right. Yeah, um, I love doing that stuff. That's fun. Yeah, they they they've got great stuff. I've got the pink taco, the Wildwood pink taco, which is great. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see. Matthias says I'm in Cali too. Even if the fire is a couple hundred miles away, you can still see and smell it. Yeah, sorry to hear that. And he said Santiago's rad. My grandfather was born in Spain. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but uh, I'm glad to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, I love Spain. <laughs> or at least Spain. Barcelona. Nice. Good. Yeah, well, I was in Madrid, and that was great, too. I, I just ate way too much meat there. I was just, like, constantly eating meat. <laughs> I think um, there is no other country in the world where you can eat like in Spain, you know, yeah. not only the quality of food, but just the variation, because depending on where you go, mm -hmm. or maybe south of Europe, I mean, that's not just Spain, but probably Portugal, Italy, Spain, and just the, the atmosphere that you can go down, and there's always somebody having, you know, a small beer or something in the bar, and so on, the whole atmosphere is kind of invites you to enjoy that, yeah. that yeah. side of life. Yeah, and things are open very late. And, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. And um, yeah, it's great. 
Uh, unlike the food choices in Germany. <laughs> the choice. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, this is actually true. It depends. If you're in a big city in Germany, you're okay. I lived, I lived in Germany one and a half year, and I mean, yes, you, you can you cannot compare, but I mean, people live there. You can eat quite nicely, obviously. It depends, it depends on where you are. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't go to Germany for the food. You go there for the beer. So. Yeah, so for driving, you know, you can yes. drive. Yeah. Yes. Good. Yeah, you can only eat so, so much schnitzel though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> After a while, it's like oh. a schnitzel and schnitzel and, sh and cheese. I'm sorry, all my German friends, but you know, yeah, I, I always get yeah. stuck in the small cities where 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 there's only like potatoes, schnitzel, and rump yeah. steak. That's called the, the arch end of the appetite. Yeah. The, the arch end of the world. But you know, actually, Germans have a quite interesting sense of humor, you know. It's a, this is a very nice country. I really loved living there I, when I lived like in it. Germany. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I've been I to like it. several places in Germany. Um, it was uh, interesting and slightly depressing walking through the red light district in in uh, Frankfurt. I don't walk there, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was it the day. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> Not at night. Uh, because uh, we, we had a hotel that was near there and it and uh and dennis our our sales guy who's from germany he goes you have to go see this you have to see what's going on here and it, it, wow <laughs> wow just uh scary just, it, yeah drugs in the street drugs in the street and uh you know floors of girls yeah yeah, well, I mean, I guess in every big city there is something like that, some yeah. somewhere. It's depressing, actually. You know, it's uh, you, you 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 see what's going on, and you're like, okay, yeah. right? Yeah. Kind of. Then you walk away and go, oh god. Um, you walk away, and you're like, I need to take a shower. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hey, we got a question from uh, Cold Gin Fifty One Fifty. Uh, he says, what was uh, Santiago's favorite guitarist to deal with and why? Favorite guitarist to deal with and why? That's, you know, uh, okay, let's, let's say that, as I mentioned before, my favorite two guitar players, so one of the, say the, more, the, the guys that made me get a guitar was, first was, first was a Spanish guy, you know, Baron Rojo is a Spanish band, but then was Joseph Trini and Ingrid Mamsty, in in no order. Yeah. Um, I remember a friend coming with the live in Leningrad from Ingrid Mamsty, you know, and hearing the far beyond, far beyond the sun, you know, yeah. and it was like, wow, you know, I mean, that's unreal. This is like, wow, somebody can play like this. Mm -hmm. And then he was in, in Sevilla, in Seville, in Spain, was this uh, Guitar Legends, was uh, uh, Brian May, Josh Atriani, Steve Vai, Nuno Betancourt, Joe Walsh. I mean, there was every day a different style. The Saturday was uh, heavy metal and hard rock. And that was the second. Uh, so Josh Atriani, he just played the such boogie their life, and I was like, I have to get a Floyd Rose. You know, I mean, I was straight away. So, Let's say that 
probably if I have to choose somebody to say I work with and I favorite working with, probably would say those both mm-hmm. in no order. I mean, I worked much more with Joe Shatriani than with Inwe. I stick in much more in touch with Joe than with Inwe. But um, it's not that Slash or Kerrikin, I don't like them. It's just, for example, with Kerrikin, I didn't have that much contact. I mean, we worked for a while and I haven't seen him for a while. I, I came along always very, very well with him. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you ask Kerry, he will tell you that's fucking Santiago, you know, that's how he refers to me. That's <laughs> fucking uh, Santiago. <laughs> yes. And this last, this last is, again, this is because probably the, the, the barriers I mentioned of, of the artist that he is, you know. But personally and um, professionally, I cannot tell you that anyone was different. But again, if I have to choose somebody, probably Joe or Ingway. Cool. Cool. Um, George Russell says, Hey Santiago, I have the blue Joe Satriani JVM. That amp totally kills. Love what you guys did with that amp. That's cool. Thank um, you so much. Um, Lucky Licks, why were the old Valve State amps so much better than the new cheaper ones? You know the answer. I mean, you want the answer. My answer for that is that the old Valve State were simple in the sense that the whole circuit uh, you could draw the whole circuit in a, in a paper you know, in a single paper the newer ones the ABT or advanced whatever the name was that the newer work state you probably need like five pages to put a circuit hmm. so you lose the freshness you know so just imagine the signal in the small circuit, just goes, processes, goes out, nice and fresh, right? Yeah. In the newer ones, it starts pre-emphasis, the emphasis, pre-emphasis, the emphasis, distortion, pre-emphasis, distortion, the emphasis, pre-emphasis, <laughs> distortion, uh, equalizer, distortion. It's like, what the signal go out? It's like, uh, you know? <laughs> so in a bland, in a bland way, is my opinion is that the new ones are too processed compared to the older ones. Makes sense. Uh, question from Peter Urban. And Peter, thanks for sending this in because I meant to ask Dave this. Uh, he says, Dave, about amp dynamics, because Peter sent this to me before, about amp dynamics, rolling down the volume, etc. what role do buffers play in amp dynamics and how does the input-output impedance of effects play in preserving, diminishing the amp's dynamics? Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, I agree. That's a that's a big uh, that's a wow. How do you answer this? Uh, a tone is in the hands. Yes. There, <laughs> uh, 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 how do I answer that? You know, the thing is, it, 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 there's so many variables to this 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 question. Like, what are we talking about? What buffer? What? Uh, you know, theoretically, the dynamics on an amp, if you limit signal going in, it gets cleaner. I mean, it's just, it just that's just the, the real basic thing. It gets cleaner. Uh, so when it doesn't get clean is when it's really high gain. I'll tell you this. You know, it's it's 
if you keep adding gain upon gain upon gain upon gain, it's uh, at some point it just won't get clean. It, it, it's just there's so much gain going on. It's just the compression from all the gain stages. It won't there won't be any dynamics. You know, like a, a, an old uh, Marshall, like an old uh, Plexi, you know, Marshall on 10 is quite a bit of gain. You roll it off. It's very clean. Uh, it, it, it goes crazy, beautiful, sparkly clean to raging. Um, so, you know, there's less the compression and the amount of gain really have a big part of this. I don't know how to answer this properly. This so, it's difficult to answer actually. I mean, it's yeah, there's too many variables to this, but the, you know, it's uh, uh, I can tell you this though less gain will get you more dynamics. <laughs> and I think and, and, and volume also volume has something to do with it too. Uh, if you take an amp and you, you're playing it very quietly and you roll off your volume knob, it gets relatively clean. But if you turn that amp up a little more and there's more volume to it and roll off the volume knob, it seems cleaner. It's just, I mean, if, if I can add something, it's very difficult to answer, you know, because as David says, so many things happening there. But um, it it just depends. If, if you see the guitar as a source of signal, and then you see the amp as a load of your guitar, you know, the impedance, I mean, that magic word, is how you are loading your guitar, right? Yeah. So depending on where you have the volume control, depending if you have a buffer, or not, that signal gets loaded. And, and as a loaded means, uh, I don't know, imagine you are pushing foam, and depending on how fast you push, if you push very slow, that's the bass, it's very soft, but if you push too fast, it's very hard, you know? So that's high impedance for the high frequency, low impedance for the low frequency, right? Anyway, uh, to make it short, how to explain, uh, if you connect a guitar to the amp, you are loading your guitar with the input impedance of the amp, which is usually a tube. So it has certain characteristics. Again, depends on your pickups, depends on your cable, depends on your volume control, etc., etc. But if you put a buffer in between, then you are not loading your guitar with the amp, you are isolating your guitar. You know, you're buffering. That's why the name comes from. So the, you're loading your guitar with a probably different impedance, impedance of the buffer which most likely will be different to the impedance of the amp. And then you are loading the buffer with the impedance of the amp, but the buffer is, if it's properly designed, you know, it will be completely independent of the impedance of the, of the amp. We just drive the amp as much as it can, you know? So again, if the buffer is properly designed and has enough headroom, then the signal will go out the same as went in, mm -hmm. but you are loading it with a different dynamics. Maybe you, as a guitar player, like the dynamics of the buffer better than the dynamics of the amp, simply because you can drive the amp in a different way. So there are so many things at the end that there is no answer to tell you if you put a buffer, your amp will be brighter, you know, or you will lose dynamics. Maybe not, you know, maybe you actually increase the dynamics. So it's, it's an if depends. Right, so again, play, and, and if you like the buffer and you like the dynamics, then just use it. I mean, it's as simple as that.
And the, and the other thing that comes into play, too, uh, is if you're talking about rolling down your volume knob, um, if your volume knob has uh, compensation on it, it changes the whole uh, character uh, or, or the whole way it rolls down. I personally hate any compensation on volume pots because it doesn't roll down an even taper. It's like it doesn't really start going off to the very end. Uh, thing I, I don't particularly like it. I like it much better. Now it doesn't always work with certain pickups, and there's reasons. Uh, like the pickups that I use in my guitars and stuff, and most of the pickups that I really like work fine with no compensation on on them. But there's some Duncan pickups and things that you roll down the volume pot, it gets super dark, and it doesn't yeah, doesn't react the same way. And and I actually don't know why that is. Has something to do with inductance and <laughs> this is again the whole thing. I mean, how the whole impedance, how you are loading the pickup, yeah. you know, because the pickup again is, is, is a coil, right? Yeah. So the coil has a resonance, and then that resonance you, in technical terms, you dump the resonance with the volume control, for example, depending on the value of the volume control. And then if you put a cap in parallel with the volume control, you're not like a high pass cap. Yeah. Then you also depend on the resistance of the pickup because it's a low pass filter. I mean, it's, it's you can do a whole PhD about how the, the, the roll off of the, yeah. the heights goes. But, uh, so, Peter, I hope we kind of answered it between the two of us. <laughs> Peter, you just need more guitars, you know, more guitars. So more guitars. Try exactly. more buffers. Except, no, guitars. Yeah. If this, maybe some guitar works very well with some amp. So, you know, that's never enough here. <laughs> Here, here's a question um, from Nikos uh, Kamias. He says, I know son. We, we, we can't have? answer his questions now. No, he can't ask Nikos. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's banned. Um, he says, I know Santiago has made mo mostly more mass produced amps, but what is his thought, his thought on more boutique amps? Have you made, as he made, uh, Amps using turret board construction and more handmade components like Dave Friedman. I have, yes. I do. I mean, I, I must still do because, again, if, for example, I'm in the mood and I'm going to do an amp, probably I would use hand wire. You know, what I mean, I would not go straight to a PCB and then start to modify the PCB. And uh, also because if I am playing, because I call it playing, you know having fun with, with circuits. It's not that I am really designing a, a whole amp process. I want to try uh, something, right? Like a high-gain version of the 800. Or, or I want to try how a Soldano sounds with that. So I have my little, you know, bench with, with my hand-wired stuff. Then I can put in some room and play. Uh, I mean, I haven't done any of that for sale you know to be offered to public it's just must this is for me for for play for having fun for researching in a way but of course for example an amp like a jpm at the beginning was like four small amps and then you have to put them together to work in a whole you know system then of course it's when you go and do like a pcb right but uh, as a starting point and probably because the i mean the power amp probably is always the same 
I always do like that, you know, yeah, hang wire around on my bench, like, like that, yes. Cool. Um, Bark Eater says, Dave, can I get a Dirty Shirley 40 combo in white? Sure. Yeah. You can order it from your favorite dealer uh, or Sweetwater or any of other other dealers. Depends yeah. on where you're located. Right. Who you like to deal with. Um, Rick Hollis, what's going on, Rick? He said 42 Gear Street was schnitzel overload. <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, that's funny. Yes, it was. Like I said, there was two things in the middle of the menus. The rump steak and schnitzel. And about five or six different kinds of schnitzel. <laughs> French fries. Three things. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had a lot of cheese also in, in uh, Germany. Well, yeah. So, well, well, anytime you're in Germany, you have the European-style breakfast. Right. So, which revolves around meat and cheese and uh, maybe a little bit of eggs, but mostly meat and cheese and Jolt. bread. <laughs> they have great bread, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, German yeah. is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, we have another question from Nikos. What are some of Santiago's favorite amps and why from a design aspect and sound? For example, does he like old marshals for the simplicity of the circuit or materials used? That's a good question. Is something for Marshall or can I say any amp? Yeah. Any amp, yeah. Any amp. Okay, um, for example, I like a lot, if I have to take a no Marshall amp, I like a lot of 5150 from a sound point of view. The one you have behind, actually, Mark, I have yeah. that amp, the same, the, the combo. Yeah. The combo, yeah. Yeah, I have that one, and I think it's one of the best heavy metal amps out there. You can just plug and play and it sounds right, you know? And if you use a guitar with EMGs, then then you're done, you know, basically. Right, right. But fr- from a construction point of view, I mean, it's, I'm sorry to say, but the, I mean, it's cheap. If you see inside the circuit and all this wiring and so on. So that's, for example, an, an, an amp that sounds good, but it's not necessarily good quality, you know? And I like a lot the boogie, the Mark, you know, the Mark II, Mark III, Mark IV. I used to have a Mark IV. Uh, I think it's a one sound amp. I mean, you have to spend like three hours to find it. But <laughs> once, once you find it, it's very good, you know. It is, I mean, it's true. It's, yeah. It has so many options. And, and the problem with those type of amps, the same as some Marshall amps, is that they can sound very good, but it's extremely easy to make them sound bad, yeah. which is, is a problem for, for, for an amp in a way, you know, I mean, if, if somebody wasn't place your amp and it plugs in and sounds like crap, that's it. So, so I think that's happening to some of the Boopy Mark. Um, all Marshalls, of course, I mean, nobody can have a amplifier collection with a 1959, for example, or a 1987, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's like having a Fender, you need a Strat or a Telecaster or a Les Paul, I mean, that's, that's a basics. And from, from newer amps, I mean, I haven't played many, but I have to say, and it's not, I'm not trying to be nice, but the Freeman amps are quite nice, you know, they sound good and they are well built, 
that's for sure. That's, what else can you ask? Yeah. I mean, I haven't, the thing is that I don't have that much chances, for example, here to, to play boutique arms, like, a, for example, a Bogner is a boutique or, a, or a, one of this, the, the higher gains ones, I forgot the names, but I mean, there's always a, a one high gain amp in fashion, right? I mean, it was the Bogner, then one the diesel, then it's the Friedman, so it's always some, some amp to look at. And here we don't have that much uh, choice. But uh, if I have to, to to find a new amp, probably it will be the VE100. You know? I really like that amp. Yeah. yeah. And I used to like a lot the rock stuff. You know, I'm a bit of a sucker for all this, like the ADA MP1 and the Marshall JMP and all that stuff. I have a few free amps there, which I always, I always found them interesting, technically. I don't know what, like, you know, I don't know if you ever played a Marka MP, MP1, the ADA MP1, the blue one, with the rack one inch. I, I haven't played one. I know uh, Michael Nielsen is a huge fan of those, isn't he, Dave? I, I, I remember when they were around, so, I, yeah, I remember. I was never, I, they could get a good sound. I was never the biggest fan, but I did like the JMP1s a lot. Those, those were great preamps, MIDI controllable preamps. They sounded great. I always thought at the time why Marshall didn't put that in a head. I, I, I always thought, you hear, you, you have this JMP1, which actually sounds better than all your current offerings. Uh, it, it sounded better, a better, higher gain sound. It just sounded better. So why not just take the front end of that and stick it in a head, and you have a MIDI controllable, programmable head? Who knows? Easy, right? But no. What's uh, nineteen ninety? When was that thing designed? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was something like that. I don't know. I don't know because when I when I joined Marshall, that was discontinued because of the rush, you know, the, the, the chemical things. You, you cannot sell product that has some certain amount of, of substances, you know, like poisons or whatever, you know. And um, so the JMP1 was discontinued just for that reason, because it was one of those things that kept selling, like every year a few, you know, a few hundred or whatever, because it was like a standard. Like they say, it just sounds good, and it's, it's easy to, to use, and it become like a standard in, in many, yeah. many people using them. I mean, still many people are using them live. Yeah. So it's, but it, that's why it was discontinued. You know? Because, never because to... many people were. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I, but but the, it seems to me that couldn't they have redesigned it to. It was not redesigned. It was being talked to be redesigned. Yeah. But it never happened. Yeah. It never happened. I mean, it uses yeah. a, few ch a few chips, Japanese chips for the potentiometers and so on, which were all gone. So they never, uh, nobody ever sat down to redesign it. Yeah. yeah. Um, were you working at Marshall when Mitch Colby was there? Yeah. Okay, so yes. you guys know each other. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, 
I, I work a lot with Mitch and with Nick. They were both, you know, US people talking to us all the time. So it was uh, Nick Popot and Mitch Corbidis. And I, of course, once he left, I also got in touch with him. And yeah, very good relationship with, with both. That's cool. Um, let me see. Uh, Cecil Music says, Dave or Santiago, why don't we ever see toroidal transformers used in guitar amps? Is it mainly due to cost? Wait, I mean, they've been used in the past. I mean, uh, not output transformers. Well, not yeah. generally output transformers, but power transformers. Laney. Laney used them uh, for power transformers in the uh, VH. Well, most I think most of the two amps they used them for the power transformers. Eggnator, early Eggnator, uh, TLL amps had a Toro power transformer. Um, yeah, they were a few. They were a few. I mean, I would say if more people didn't use them, probably was for cost, honestly, for the main transformer, right? For the power transformer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, output transformers, they have a problem. They, Toroidal are too good, you know, bluntly said they are too good to be an output transformer. So they just don't work unless you wind them very, very carefully so both sides are exactly the same. Otherwise they saturate, you know, otherwise they kind of go and smoke. So it's not worth it. Even some hi-fi people do that, but those people pay thousands for a cable, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Toroidal, I, I would say it's just a, matter of cost because actually they are better transformers they make less noise you know like induced noise hum and they're lighter so i don't know probably it's one of those that you don't use them because nobody does and because probably people don't like them like people want to see that big transformer on the back if you put a trailer probably people will accuse you straight away to be saving money even uh, it's more expensive so i don't know um, we got a question from James Taylor. He says, "Any thought on Steve Grindrod, former head designer at Marshall and Box, and Albion Amps?" I don't, I don't know Steve, but uh, Steve, Steve, um, Steve was uh, was in Marshall for a long time. I don't know exactly which Marshalls he was involved. But definitely, probably the, the first barber states, the 900s, all the 90s, maybe 80s, I don't know, maybe. Actually, you know, I think he joined Marshall when I was born. I have this idea talking to him, so 1973. And then he was in Marshall for like 30 years or something. Uh, he was technical director until the late 90s, then he left for Vox. He was working for Vox. Then he moved to China to do his Albion amps with some Chinese company. And now, I don't know if he's back to England or around here. I mean, I, I met him several times. I never worked with him. I mean, when I first met him, he was probably living box. But he's, he's, he's one of the main designers of the main designer of maybe the 80s, 90s of Marshall. Yeah. Cool. And Dave, how did you say those those amps? I I pronounced it wrong. Isn't it Albion? Albion. Yeah. Albion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I could be wrong. Andre, I think it's Albion. Yeah. That sounds about right. Um, Andre Nye says uh, also a question for both Santiago and Dave. 
why does the Jubilee have such good responsive EQ controls? Could a 2203 or 1959 have just as responsive EQ as well? Is there a mod that Dave offers for Jubilees? Uh, no on the mod, but you can answer the rest. Okay, the, the, the answer is uh, because it's a different EQ. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's very easy to answer. It's a completely different EQ. And the, the second part of the answer is that you can try it in a 2203, but it probably will not sound good. The same as if you put a standard Martian EQ in a, in a Jubilee, probably it will not sound good either. You know? I mean, you can try. I never tried, to be honest. I never tried a uh, Jubilee EQ in a 2203, but the thing is that both the preamp of both amps is so different, and the EQ is so different that probably they just match. You know? And when you try, for example, you get a Marshall and you try to play with EQ to do something different, it's, it's just not a Marshall anymore. It just probably you screw it up. You know? the, whole, the whole response, the whole thing just, just changes. So, I mean, I will have to try to, to, to answer the question if, if it's worth to actually even try that more or not. Okay, David already said that he's not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not, I don't mod anything on a Jubilee generally, so that's not the right architecture for what I generally do, so. Um. So this is a question from Richard Lee Rogers. What do you guys think of the quality of vacuum tubes manufactured today? Hit and miss. You know, I mean, hit and miss. Some are good, some are not good. Some are good and sometimes the ones that are good, you buy them and they are not good. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit uh, random. It's not that they were ever really good. I mean, I think the worst was probably in the 90s or something like that when they were really, really bad. Probably they improved a little bit, but since it's more and more of a niche business and the choices are so limited that even the ones that are good, I'm sure you will find not good ones, you know? And again, I don't have statistics. Probably David knows more. He uses much, you know, many more tips than, than I do. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we, we had issues with EL34s for a while. Um, JJs were good for a lot of years, and then they weren't. Just what you just said. Then they weren't. Really not. <laughs> Where basically every tube that was out there just died. Everything. And uh, they tested fine. I mean, we burned in amps for 24 hours, and, you know signal running through them and you know it's they tested fine they went out of the place fine but then uh, you know and then the customer will get the amp and they're they're playing in they turn it off one day they turn it on the next day and poof fuse pops you know and and and, and the worst part about having amps out there at stores is there's amps that exist at stores that have been there for a while you know and so you know, it's routine that you see an amp from 2016 in a box at a store that is now sold now, or 2017, and oh, that one had the tubes in it. So now, even though it's four, three, four years old, we're still at the warranty of the tubes because it's from the date they purchase it. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
so the JJs were horrible. And then we switched to uh, a Chinese EL34s, uh, which sounded good, but uh, fragile, very fragile. Uh, it, you know, if you bang, uh, you know, we were having issues, and, and they short terribly. Like when they short, they really short. They, you know, arc tube sockets and things. It's, it's not pretty. And uh, so, you know, you don't have a lot of choices. So, that's the thing, you know. It's, uh, you have to use what you choices. have. And there's some choices that are available that really aren't uh, doable in production. Uh, because, you know, okay, so there's... Uh, what's left? So we have the EH uh, EL34s, which is what we've switched to, and have been rock solid. Uh, hardly any problems with them in the field, uh, and the ones we're getting are all good, and it's been going on for a while now. So, uh, so their reliability. I'm really sold on the reliability of that tube now. Uh, I think I think Marshall are using. Those, at least when when the spetlanas stop, you know the wing yeah. the wing sea stuff. I think when we tried all of that, and I think the the replacement was the EH to replace the spetlanas. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I don't know what's going on now. But they're they're probably the most reliable. Um, the only other two, you know, other than that, you have a, a Tung Sol EO34, which is quite a good tube. It's very expensive. It's hard to do in production. Uh, I know we have expensive amps, but still, I mean, sometimes the the price they're charging for the tube is just stupid. I mean, it's it's not in line with all the other tubes. Uh, and uh, um, that one sounds pretty good. And then you have you know Mullard, uh, the Mullard ones from from Russia, and you have the Svetlana ones from Russia. And well, that's about it. <laughs> so, so uh, you don't have a lot of choices, you really don't. Yeah. And uh, so the EH really, really turned out well. The only, the only issue with EH occasionally is they get microphonic after a while. Um, but they still work. <laughs> so yeah, they don't make a hole there. Yeah, they, they don't make a hole in the tube socket when they blow. Um, so, uh, you know, and then preamp tubes, I mean, really, for me, there's really only, there's Chinese preamp tubes, basically. There's the best preamp tube made today, and it's great. Unfortunately, most of the time you can't use them in the first gain uh, slots. So we use a JJ there, which I really hate for a variety of reasons. Um, but... I, I, in production, we don't have a choice. It's, it's, it's yeah, for, for you can't sit there for an hour trying to find a good tube for the first slot of one amp when you have sixty amps sitting there to be tested. And, and um, the JVM was the same. The best if you have a JVM, the best sounding JVM is you put Chinese preamp tubes, all of them. Yeah. But the problem is to find the first preamp tube that is not noisy and not microphonic. Yep. That's a big problem. I mean, you can, if you're alone, you have 100 tubes, yeah, you can do it. But production, you have not 60, but 600 JVMs. So obviously, you have to go to the safe. And it's like, okay, the JJs, okay, they have less gain, they are a bit less defined, but they work. They do work. They sound pretty good. Um, yeah. They're okay. Um, the, 
the only annoying thing that they do is if you run low voltages uh, on the preamp tubes, they bleed uh, they bleed DC out their input grid. Nice. <laughs> and uh, which which is problematic. You know, yes. Depending, so you, you have to be careful of the voltages you're using. But you know, voltages fluctuate, so I, I hate that. So I wish I could change it. Yeah, the Chinese tube, no problem at all. To run it down to nothing. Yes, yes, work. Yeah. yeah dude, literally, yeah. you could run it down to nothing, and it'd be fine. <laughs> Not an issue. <coughs> or or it's so low that it won't do it until it's like at 50 volts or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There, um, there's that. Although right now the Chinese plan, from what I understand, is uh, moving. I heard something, but you know, every year there's a new rumor about what happens. I know, I know. But supposedly, I, 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 yeah, supposedly it's moving, and there's a. I don't know. So we'll see. We bought a lot, so. <laughs> I think we'll be okay. That's good. Because then the other choice is I'd have to use all SoTech preamp tubes, and I'm not really enthused about that either. So, okay. um, Santiago Lou Sequoia wants to know what do you think of the vintage modern amps? I like them a lot. I like them a lot. An amp again that Steve Dawson did, and um, I would classify that amp in the amp. That is really good sounding, but it's extremely easy to make it bad sounding. That amp needs to be again played relatively loud because most of the compression and distortion comes from the from the KT66s, the output tubes, and the preamp is more like a booster for the output tubes. You know, so it has these two gain controls. You know, you can control the bass and the body and detail, I think it was called, called and so on. And if, if you get there, it can sound really good, really responsive. If you boost it, you can, you know, and yes, you know, legato, super, super nice, very responsive amp. But again, if you go to a shop and you do what everybody does, it's like put the games at full, put the master at, you know, at one, it sounds really bad, you know, with a super harsh face, split distortion, as this post faces with our master volume, which and lower volumes, you know, you hear all the crap that comes from the preamp, and the KT66s are there doing nothing. So that's that's the way I, I classify that amp. But if, again, you have the right amp with the right speakers, because that amp is uh, Greenback style speakers, the G2FC, it can be a really, really good sounding amp. And in fact, I mean, SLAS was using it for a while. And, uh, and some some more classic rock guys keep using it and certain of them. I mean, even Paul Gilbert, for example, uses it a lot. Is it a good amp? Again, discontinued for the same reasons as, as we talked before, just yes, because people see the numbers and you see how many DSLs you sell and how many vintage models you sell, and maybe it's not worth to keep making them. Right. Yeah, I think that's cool. It's yeah. a good amp. It's a yeah. very good amp. Um, Darren Dermody, uh, Dave, what is the Freeman No More Tears Wah built after? A wah? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like an original wah circuit. I mean, it, with some added features, you know, uh, it has, uh, 
a really cool vocal sounding inductor and then it has um an output buffer that you can choose to use or not on the pedal um um it has some of the mods i used to do to crybabies uh, on it the little voice switch that changes the uh the, the back frequency and it adds a little more gain when it's kind of in the more exaggerated mode like basically a really good 70s wah that was modified how's that okay uh Gonzalo Cordovas says, hey, hey there, guys. Cheers from Chile. Uh, what does Santiago think about those new Studio Marshall series, the Plexi one and the 800? I haven't played them. To be honest, I haven't played any of them. Uh, I can't imagine how, how they sound. Actually, they were already in the plan when I left to do a whole range of uh, low, low-powered amps. I mean, on those two models, I really can't answer. I haven't played them, but um, the power amp of that of that series, which is the same as is being used in the Mini Jubilee, uh, it was used in the Origin, on the original Origin. It's a quite nice amp. I mean, this is a two-year-thirty-fourth run, a relatively low voltage, like 260 volts or something, and it's kind of a sweet spot. It compresses pretty nicely, and when it distorts, it's quite quite nice, you know. You don't depend that much on the volume level of the speakers to, to compensate for the harshness of the, of the power amp. Um, I'm pretty sure they are quite nice. I mean, my, my, if I'm going to play them, or once I play them, my initial, let's say, before I play them, I expect them to be good, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Basanta Garang. Says, so just wondering on your thoughts, uh, and I'm I'm not sure if I say this properly. Um, on Sierra Tone amps, uh, C E R I A T O N E. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Have you guys played one? I've never played one. They were kits or something, huh? They were they were kits. They also make full amps. They also make copies of amps, including mine. Um, um, you know what? The workmanship inside is quite nice. It's hand wired nicely. Um, you know, it's hand wired turret board style amplifier. Uh, I don't know if I'm not crazy about some of the transformers they use, uh, in, in them. Um, but, uh, I've heard some that are cool. It's an honest opinion. Yeah. I have zero, zero experience with them. I mean, I, whatever I read. In the internet, but I haven't ever seen or touched or played one. Okay. Um, so Marvel Harris has has anyone asked Santiago if he understands what direction Marshall is going in? You have to ask Marshall. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean. I I will be politically correct. Okay, I, I left Marshall three years ago. I'm very happy of being part of Marshall. I'm very proud of the legacy of Marshall, of having at some point maybe 80% of the catalog was my design and probably still is 60%. And once you part ways uh, professionally, honestly, I really don't care what Marshall are doing because it doesn't affect me. I keep playing Marshalls. You know, if I play an amp, probably will be a Marshall. In fact, now in the sunroom here, I'm playing the YJM. Yes. 
you know, fancy playing that up again. So it didn't change anything. Now, the way Marshall sees the future, honestly, and it's real, I don't know. And if I knew, I wouldn't tell you. Obviously, for ethical and, um, and professional reasons, right? But what I, my experience with this type of questions is that the problem or the good thing that Marshall has is that many people feel Marshall very personal, like part of them, you know? Yeah. Like something you grew up with that your heroes played. So once Marshall are doing something you don't necessarily like, you feel that disappointed, you know? Disappointment. Like, uh, yeah, it's Marshall again doing these crappy wallets. You don't see the other 90% of Marshall, but you're already disappointed. Disappointed. When if any other company, for example, I, I, I would not say names, but uh, another amplifier company does something that you don't like, you just don't care because you don't have this hard love for Marshall, if that makes sense, you know? So my, my impression after all the years of talking to people and et cetera is that people tend to have this feeling of ownership of uh, Marshall, you know, which I, I had also. So I understand where they come from. But if you are able to, to okay, this is emotions, this is business, Marshall is a business, so they can do whatever they like. Yep. That's true. That's true. Um, so we were talking before we went online. I think I've actually exhausted a lot of all the questions, unless you see anything new, Dave. Um, but we were talking before we went online about NAM that's coming up. Um, so you're going to be there, Santiago. I used to go. I used to go two or three days to walk around and visit. And since I go not working, I can actually enjoy the show. You know, because people, I mean, in general, again, people think that oh, NAM is fun. You meet all this, you know artists and there are so many gear that you can play and walk and meet people and so on. At the end it's exhausting. I mean you have to go early, you have to usually for everyone interesting people they you have all this especially Marshall, you know, it's, it's funny, bless them, but everybody comes, oh I have this Marshall from nineteen seventy six that had this blue cap and I changed the blue cap for a red cap. Do you think the tone changed? And it's like eh, maybe not. You know, I mean you have all this kind of interaction and you can get Quite tiring. I'm sure David can <laughs> relate. Yeah, yeah. To, to that. So I was saying I I, I attend just for personal reasons. I mean, personally, just as a visitor, and I walk around, I meet people, and and I take it easy. I can go to the hotel early and, and so on. So yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, yeah, come come by. We'll go to dinner this year. Yeah, come yep. by. I pass by. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, Leonard Rodriguez has a, has a cool question. Did Edward Van Halen ever approach Marshall or vice versa? Mm, I mean, for what I know, not just because he already had his brand. Mm. I mean, he was, when did the, the 5150 EVH came? Like 91 or 90 or something? Well, the, 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 the PV, the PV you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that was, and then the Ray has his brand and so on. He was always focused on his stuff. So, as far as I know, not. And even when he left PV, I don't think he talked to Marshall. I think Fender straight away take over because he was already the guitarist or something. I don't know, but I mean, from my side, the answer is not. 
Okay. All right. Um, I don't think I see any other questions, Dave, so I think we've covered them all. I think there was some, someone asked me something. Uh, purple, wait. Oh, there it is. Purple Lib. Purple Ibby. Question for People, Dave. You need, when, you, when you do these names, you got to do easier names for us, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the answer, well, they said if you have a Redboard B100 uh, amp, does it have instrument or line level effects lo uh, loop? Uh, it's instrument level. It always has been, always probably will be because no one uses rack mount effects anymore. Not for a lot of years. Unless you're talking in Axe effects. Um, oh. make rack mount effects anymore. <laughs> I guess some. Um, I mean, I guess Eventide still makes. Them. Yeah. Uh, the Guitar Guru Network. What's up, Keith? Sorry if this has been covered. Favorite speakers or combination of speakers, Santiago. Uh, okay. If I have to choose one speaker at the day of today, I will get the Celestion, the Greenback, the H seventy five or seventy five H something. Like that. It's a. It's a really nice. It's, I think it's a blend, if I had to describe it, it's a blend between the vintage 30 and maybe a 75, but it's kind of the both, the best of both. Uh, so I really like the, the my to-go speaker of the day of today is that one, the Krimbach uh, H75. Yeah. I don't know the sound of one. The H, the heavy man. That's a good one. Uh... uh greenbacks, I'm a greenback, 25-watt greenback fan. Uh, I also like the H. I also like vintage thirties, so it just depends on what um, what you're going for. What I really like though is I just bought a seventies uh, a vintage seventies Marshall cabinet with black backs in it, the original black backs in it. I just got a steal on one, and it's beautiful. It was in amazing condition, cover and everything, and uh, I couldn't pass it up. And God, it sounds good <laughs> that cabinet. Oh my God. Uh, I, I recently bought also a, a very, very cheap, brand new Marshall MF280, you know, the Mode 4 cabinet, which is yeah. like the, the tall, which vintage 30s inside. It's the one that the Slayer, for example, uses all the time, and it's a yeah. really good cabinet. Really, really good. Cool. Awesome. But the, the vintage 30, that still, they always have something to me, some way, I don't know how to describe it. Some, you know, some spike somewhere in the frequency response that's annoying me. I don't know why. Yeah, this is true. I understand. I understand what you're talking about. But well, cool. Well, I want to thank you, Santiago, for coming on the show. Um, thank you. Yeah, we've been going for a little over two and a half hours. Uh, great conversation with you. It's great to get to know you. Um, if people want to uh, reach out to you or find out. Uh, how to, you know, have your consulting services. Uh, I'm sure you, they can find you online. Yeah, I can. I mean, usually, yes, just online you can find me. If you look for Santiago Engineering, it will appear somewhere there in, in Google. And otherwise, I mean, usually people honestly reach me through other people. You know, I mean, I don't do much marketing and so on. But still, I mean, I always, 
even in some forums, in the, I, I am not that often in the forums, but for example, in the Marshall forum, if people want to reach, I am there sometimes. So if they look for Santi all, you know, they always can drop a message. And if it's more professional or whatever, yes, of course, just find me online. But I would say it's generally easy, even in Facebook. I mean, honestly, I mean, since you asked me this, I have so many requests for people adding me in Facebook and so on. And I, 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 I always attend people, so. Oh, that's great. Great. So they come. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. Uh, our next guest, let me, I believe, uh, let me find that. Uh, our next guest is Mike Saldano on November 8th. I never met him. He was one of my idols, honestly. Uh, he'll probably be at NAM again. Okay, then I will say hello. I will say, yeah, I'm one of your fans. Yeah. yeah. It's the guy who started everything. You know, I don't want to hijack the, the thread, but the high gain stuff, let's say, oh, started yeah. getting big with so I, and then... I call that the, it was the first, uh, Marshall-based more Marshall-based high-gain boutique amplifier. Yes, and then everybody copied it. I mean, copied it. really sort of started the boutique high-gain amplifiers, but but yeah. really Mike was the first one to um, do that. I mean, I can think of four or five amps that are just a copy of this, but a copy. Really, really based on the... Oh, yeah. You mean the rectifier? So that'll be great. And uh, Santiago, hang on just as we uh, we hang up. Everybody have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, thank you. Thank you, everybody.